episode was brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Dave, Greg, Dan, Ian, Urza, Kevin, Ashley, Blake, Joel, Brian, Amy, Ian, West, and Trey. Stick around for an extended shout-out at the end. Now on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, The Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, Jackson the Sun, and welcome to the 8th Annual Headbangers Ball. I know it's been like 27 years since we've been on air, but we've come back for one special event, and that, of course, is to host the 87th Kiss Farewell Tour in the past six years. <laughs> hey, don't knock the farewell tours. Oh, 88. There's another one announced. I don't blame them. I don't blame them. All right. We are typically a spoiler podcast that covers a horror movie, but for this episode, we are covering a favorite musical genre of Jackson and I's heavy metal. Um, Of course, because we're a horror podcast, we're going to kind of focus on those artists who span both horror and metal. But to do this, we need some help. So we sent out a call. Uh, We sent out like an air raid siren, like Bruce Dickinson's voice to a couple of fellow metalheads. Please welcome back to the podcast. Two of our favorites first up North crossing the Canadian border, the home of rush, Butcher Bill Van Vagel. How are you, Bill? Ironically, you said that I have a Rush flag beside me and a Rush t-shirt on. So I am right into this. There you this. go. <laughs> and I am I am so excited today because of my I like a lot of types of music, but metal was always kind of my driving force. And I I was listing all the metal concerts I've been to, and gosh knows I probably forgot a few and I had to write them down. I love the genre. Uh to this day, I'll still listen to it to pump me up, or if I'm feeling down, it'll get me back up. So let's bring on the discussion. Let's bring on the parallels with horror, and let's just bring on the fun. Absolutely. And so next, we head south to North Carolina for one of the OG's horror podcasters and the man I will contend as the best name in podcasting, Mr. Greg Amortis. Welcome, Greg. Ooh, devil horns in the air, baby. <laughs> Greg Amortis back. What's up, Pastor Matt Jackson? But your bill, man, I'm excited. I am so excited. I love metal. I breathe metal. I eat metal. I drink metal. It's metal, 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 metal. <laughs> well, if you're eating metal, how does it feel coming out? Oh, that's a little rough, but it's just like some of that old uh, black metal or that Norwegian metal. It's kind of rough coming out, but it tastes good going in, baby. <laughs> Oh, man. So when we first discussed this, we were talking about, well, we'll just pick an artist or something like that. But Bill was like, no, we should just go ahead, just go for it and discuss all these different artists. So that's what we're going to do. And gents, let's start the discussion at what I think is the beginning, Um, the beginning of really shock rock of both metal and horror. The man who was born, Vincent Fernier in Detroit, um, a fellow preacher's kid like Jackson and I, let's talk about Alice Cooper. Um, yes. So let's start with you, Bill. Do you remember the first time you heard or witnessed the gory hard rock spectacle that is Alice Cooper? Alice Cooper. The first time was probably schools out. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause they used to play that video quite a lot back in the day. I have subsequently seen him twice, uh, post drinking and yeah. he's, yeah, he's what been is, sober since 1985, I think. 85. He did have a hiccup. Yeah. At one point, and then he straight basically straighted himself out. Yeah. Now, to say that he started it uh, with the theatrics, I would even take it back to the crazy world of Arthur Brown. Well, yeah, but I'm talking about hard rock. Oh, hard See, rock. Okay. With hard rock and metal, I think it was Alice that did it first. I think even Gene Simmons, 
has admitted that Alice was the first person kind of in the hard rock world who brought on the gore. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, to bring on the gore. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the thing with uh, Alice Cooper is, you know, a lot of people can bang out their guitar, string out their three or four chords, but Alice has a musicianship. He has a stage presence. He brought the theatrics. Uh, We can dig into it, but his, he has some songs that are timeless and classic crosses genre Crosses generations. Alice Cooper is the man, the myth, the legend. Absolutely. Greg, what about you? Do you remember the first time you encountered Alice Cooper? Yeah, it would have, it would have definitely been MTV days. It would have definitely been schools out because in school, it was something they always played on intercom right on the last day of school. They'd play that song. School's yeah. out. You'd be like, yes. <laughs> and it always got you pumped up. And I had the honor of actually seeing Alice Cooper live finally a few years back. I can't remember yes. what year. It was like 2010, 11. He, he was touring with Rob Zombie. We're calling it the gruesome mm-hmm. tour. And uh, that was like a co-headline tour. So it was like Rob Zombie one night would close. Next night, Alice Cooper would close. Well, the particular night my son and I went to, Alice Cooper was opening up. Rob Zombie was closing. Big mistake. Alice Cooper crushed <laughs> the same for like almost three hours. Like he... Wow. Man was 70 plus years old and did everything from billion dollar babies up. And I mean, he's guillotining. He's, you name it. He'd done every skit he's ever done to mankind in that two and a half, three hours. And then Rob Zombie come out and he might as well just said, you know, thank you and good night. Cause I mean, <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> hell in comparison to coming up against Alice Cooper. Alice showed Rob Zombie what it's like to be a rock star. <laughs> Absolutely. Jackson, what about you? When did you do you remember the first time you encountered Mr. Alice Cooper? I do, and it's kind of an unconventional one. Uh, have you any of you guys watched the TV show Monk? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Uh, of course, pe- uh, horror fans will know Tony Shalhoub, the main star of Monk from Thirteen Ghosts and Fourteen Oh Eight. But, um, anyways, I, I was going to say I know him from Wings. Yes, Wings yes. as well, right? Um, and uh, Men in Black, he has a cameo in that. But Wings, you know, which Monk- co-starred Crystal Bernard from Slumber Party Massacre 2, yes. who yes. my brother Brian used to date. So anyway, but, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, degrees but, of separation. Yeah. And uh, Ted Levine is also on Monk, who people yep. know from Silence of the Lambs and Joyride and the Hills Have Eyes remake. Anyways, um, Alice Cooper is actually in an episode of Monk. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen that episode, but it, it's hilarious. Uh, basically, Monk, the detective, has a mental breakdown, and he starts solving the case, but he does it all wrong, and he concludes that Alice Cooper is the person responsible for the murder of the episode. Give us Mike, the case, remember? Jimmy Cusack. <laughs> I forgot to tell you. I solved that case about an hour ago. Wait, wait. You solved the case. Take a look, take a look, take a little look. This was stapled to a telephone pole that was right in front of us the whole time. He's the guy. Who's the guy? Alice Cooper. <sighs> what? Are you telling us that Alice Cooper, the rock star, killed Jimmy Cusa? First off, I don't think Alice Cooper is his real name. And uh, Alice Cooper is a good sport. He, he basically is in a, like a dream sequence sort of thing, reenacting a fake crime where he kills someone to get their antique uh, wingback chair and then doesn't want it anymore because it has a bullet hole and blood in it. Um, so, yeah, that's the first time I saw Alice Cooper probably in, you know, the makeup and everything. But I'm sure I'd seen clips like on TV from Dazed and Confused where they're playing schools out for the summer and stuff like that. Um, 
And uh, if you know, I've I've heard Rob Zombie from a very young age, and basically Rob Zombie rips uh, Alice Cooper's whole thing. I mean, you listen to Feed My Frankenstein from Hey Stupid, and you're like, is this a Rob Zombie song? It's got samples for movies and stuff. It's basically, you know, you can see where his influences are. But um, yeah, Rob Zombie's been very open that Alice Cooper was his biggest influence. So yeah, absolutely, yeah. But of course, also Wayne's World. You know, I'd seen Wayne's World, and he's in that um, one of the funniest. about that oh yeah that's mm-hmm. right that's yeah. where the we are not worthy thing comes from yep and he's <laughs> talking about he's talking about the native american tribes that used to roam around their hometown so yeah very funny and of course horror fans prince of darkness john carpenter's prince of darkness oh, he's yeah he's in a lot and tim burton's dark shadows man the the connections and horror run deep with alice cooper he's kind of the godfather of of the merging of music and movies. Um, well, we're trying, you know, Jackson, we've had the stated goal. Of we want Alice Cooper on this podcast and oh, yeah. talk about degrees because your uncle Brian, my older brother, Brian is friends with deep purple mm-hmm. uh, because at one time he was deep purple's music publisher back in the eighties and deep purple has toured with Alice Cooper. And so the bassist, Roger Glover, who is a really good friend of my brother Brian's, knows Alice Cooper. And so we've been lobbying. We've been lobbying to try to get Alice on this podcast. But yeah, I oh, man, I I, I would love if he could do it. But and Alice, for me, I was introduced to Alice Cooper when I was about three years old uh, because my older brother, Greg, my oldest brother, Greg, was a huge Alice Cooper fan. He picked me up when I was three years old and put his stereo headphones on me and hmm. started this thing called a vinyl record, young ones, you can Google it, and put on <laughs> Welcome to My Nightmare oh. uh, and blasted that in my ears when I was three years old. Maybe that's why I'm so warped now. But anyway, <laughs> that I have been a huge Alice Cooper fan ever since. Never met the man um never seen him live i've seen concert videos but i've never had the opportunity to see him live bill greg you guys have greg you spoke about it. bill you saw him live i've, I've seen him live twice i've what was seen like? him i've seen him in an outdoor venue where he had the big um almost puppet marionette figure on the stage with him mm-hmm. and he did the whole you know uh cutting off of the head deal and but i saw him Oh, I'm going to say within the last five years, it's it's sooner. It it was after Bowie had died. Mm -hmm. So it was within the last three years. And what I was impressed with was how professional he is. Like if you don't realize him or if you see him in his clips, when he was in his drinking belligerent rambling days of the late seventies, early eighties, you look at him now, like the man knows how to put a show on. He now, but what, I was uh, taken aback by it, but it's probably due to his professionalism is when he does his show. Now he does not interact with the crowd. He is a performer on the stage. It's like, he's on Broadway. He's doing his thing. He knows his songs. It's very theatrical, but he's not going, Hey, Toronto out. Like he doesn't do that. Right. He does his thing. And the other thing that really impressed me, and I've seen interviews with Alice Cooper is he always has quality backup musicians. Mm-hmm. His oh. guitarist is, I forget the female's name, but she is one heck of yes. a guitarist. Yes. And uh, and he's had many guitarists over the years go on to form or be part of other bands. And his part of it is, is as long as you forward the Alice Cooper brand in a positive way, I'll give you the stage. Yeah. 
yeah, he's got a, I, I will say this as somebody who worked in the music business for, for several years, he has an incredibly um, stellar reputation. Um, it is hard to find anybody who will say anything negative about Alice Cooper. Yeah. Um, you know, he is, has been a mentor to many people. Dave Mustaine of Megadeth actually moved from L.A. to Phoenix at one point uh, when he decided to get sober um, just to be near Alice Cooper because he was his mentor and he was the guy who was helping him out. And the guys in Guns N' Roses talk about how great Alice Cooper is and how good he was to them and all this other kind of stuff. He's got an incredible reputation. Um, and as you said, like a professional, and I've seen interviews too where, yeah, you're right, Bill, he doesn't interact with the crowd because I've seen him on video concerts and stuff like that. But one of the things he says is, you know, he's a preacher's kid from Detroit. He was a track star. He got sober. He married another preacher's kid. He goes to church every week. He goes to Camelback uh, Church in Phoenix, which is a conservative uh, church. And he plays golf every day. But he says when he goes on stage, it's like, you know, I am Vincent Fernier up until the lights go down. When the lights go down, I'm Alice Cooper. See, that that's quite the change in him because what led to his demise and his drinking and such was he was Alice Cooper all the time. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. what, you know, once he decided to, you know, I'm going to stop with the drink and I'm going to realize there's an offstage presence and an onstage, yep. then he kind of turned it around. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, yeah, just everybody just considers him a great guy in the music business. Very easy to work with has had the same manager since 1969. Wow. Great. Golf. Mean, <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's, yeah, he's a really great golfer. And despite the fact that he had a spinal problem, which is why he's kind of hunched over, he was a track star in high school. I mean, so. And I, I do know that he loves baseball. He loves the Arizona yes. Diamondbacks out there. Yeah, he does. He does. So, do you guys have a favorite Alice Cooper song? So, Bill, do you have a favorite Alice Cooper song? Yeah. Well, it's funny when you said, what's the first song of his that, you know, you got into? And School's Out is easy. It's not my favorite, but th the second one is Only Women Bleed. Yes. Yeah. And, and I remember blaring it once with my wife, and she's like, really? Isn't that kind of crude? And I said, well, no, yeah, okay, on a surfacey level, yeah, 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 that's what it means. But if you actually listen to the lyrics, it means something completely different. Yeah. But my, my favorite song, my anthem song by his is 18. I'm 18, yeah. I'm 18. Yeah. Like, you yeah. can plow that out, and that's one of those songs that the heavy metal bands of today can play or the heavy metal bands from 35, 40 years ago could play. It's a timeless classic in terms of uh, the meaning, uh, what it represents. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, Skid Row harkened that with, you know, with the Youth Gone Wild and stuff. It's the same yep. thing, and they're going to continue to play that type of version of a song 30 years from now. Absolutely, and I... Uh, my favorite is Only Women Bleed, and, they, and the version that I love, there's a hard-to-find CD I used to have called Classics, and it's C-L-A-S-S-I-C-K-S, -S -S, which is a compilation album from the early 90s that I used to have on CD, and there's a live version of Only Women Bleed, which is the best version I've ever heard of it. Um, I can't find it on Spotify, I can't find it on iTunes, uh, but it's a great, great version of it greg what about you do you have a favorite alice cooper song i mean yeah certainly i'm 18 for sure but um when i think about it, i think about like 
the songs like Feed My Frankenstein. I liked mm-hmm. that. Uh, growing up in the 80s was a hair band, and that song really hit at the right time. I always loved that one, even Poison. Poison, yeah. Loved that song, you know, talking about going in your veins. And, uh, of course, the Billion Dollar Babies. I mean, that, that just yeah. that, whole, that whole era of, of music right there. That's, but probably I'm 18 would probably be my favorite schools out because I heard it a bazillion times. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jackson, more, what about you? I, uh, Pearl said. <laughs> <laughs> Jackson, uh, what about you, buddy? For me, it's, uh, you know, it's hard because he has so many different eras, like different yeah. sounds and stuff. Um, I, I'm going to have to go with th- a three-way tie because there are so many different. Oh, a three-way tie? Come on. <laughs> I'll narrow it down to one that I think is his best, but I think my favorites of his uh, for the 70s, uh, probably Looney Tune from from School's Out, which is a real creepy sounding one. Um, from the 80s, Poison from the yeah. Trash album. And uh, Feed My Frankenstein from the 90s from Hey Stupid. That That's my favorite from the 90s. I think out of all of those, Feed My Frankenstein is probably my, my favorite. It's it's basically like, you know, it sounds like a Rob Zombie song. It sounds like a, um industrial metal song almost. It's got the samples in there and stuff. Um but, you know, all three of those from very different eras sound great. And and one I can't forget is Man Behind the Mask, which is uh, yes. one from uh, Friday the 13th Part 6. So there are just like, depending on the year, he would just sound super different and have a different sound to him. And that goes along with his, you know, what he was going through at the time, but also his backing band, because you get new musicians are going to sound different. So, you know, three-way tie, but I think Feed My Frankenstein is the, is the ultimate one. And favorite album overall, I would say, is Trash, though, because I love Spark in the Dark and uh, Poison. I always thought Constrictor was an underrated album, too. But, uh, Bill, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, the one song of his that never gets any credit that he does brilliantly in concert is Elected. Yes, that's a great song. Oh, it's fantastic. And he, yeah. and he does it on stage. He brings people out with the little puppet heads of the of the politicians. and yes, Oh, it's fantastic. He is. I can't wait to see him live. I'm jealous that uh, you two gents have, have seen him live. For some reason, I've always missed him. I almost had the chance, and it fell apart at the last minute when he was touring with Deep Purple, and my brother was going to get uh, me tickets and backstage passes. And then something popped up and I couldn't go and I was really upset. But anything else we want to say about Mr. Cooper before we turn to Birmingham, England? Well, the only thing I would say is we can talk about it later if you want, but he did act in a couple horror movies because this is a horror podcast. Yes, he did. I mean, Monster Dog and Prince of Darkness and of course, Wayne's World. But yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, he's a huge horror movie fan. Mm hmm. Yeah, but I mean, it's funny is if you watch Monster Dog, you get basically a music video at the end. You get a bit of music yeah. of him at the beginning, and then they dub his voice <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> know, that's crazy. The dubbed voice is not any better. Am I wrong? No. And it's not as if he's got like a difficult to understand voice. No, exactly. exactly. Oh my gosh, I never understood uh, it. I I don't either. But he is really good. I mean, I. I would be shocked if you disagree with this, Greg. He is great as the homeless creep in Prince of Darkness. Oh, he's not one of my favorite characters in that whole movie. Yeah. Is Alice Cooper. Like that whole scene with the bicycle, you know, with the uh-huh. handlebars and everything is so creepy, so good. I mean, I, man, he's gold. He's gold, dude. Absolutely. Absolutely. So anything, anything left uh, about Mr. Cooper Jackson before we turn to uh, a band named after a Mario Bava movie? 
Yes. Well, I just want to say for one of the nicest guys you could ever, you know, talk to judging from interviews, he has got the most menacing stare ever. You know, those are their pictures of him on the red carpet and stuff. And they'll be like, Alice, look over here. Look over here. I'll take a picture of him. And ooh, that icy stare. He looks like he's going to slit somebody's throat. He's real creepy, especially with the makeup on his face. He looks like a serial killer. That really adds to his whole his whole aesthetic and theatrics and everything. So I, I love that. Whenever a person looks like a villain and they look like they could take you out, but really they're the nicest person in the world. One and, last thing I was going to say. One last thing on Alice Cooper. If anybody's bored, go onto YouTube. And there are a couple interviews of him, I'm going to say in the early 80s, when he was, he looked real thin. Yeah. Like he looked sickly. He was obviously high as a kite and drunk as a skunk. Yep. But even in that state, he was still an eloquent, interesting interview. Yeah. Like you're kind of going, where the heck is this going? But you can't stop watching. Yeah, he unfortunately was a high-functioning, you know, alcoholic who has Very admitted that. Yeah, he, I mean, he admitted he was drinking um, close to, um, if not equal to, a gallon of whiskey a day. Wow. Ooh. Wow. Which means he would have been dead a long time ago, you know, if he hadn't quit. Um, and he went cold turkey. I mean, he didn't go to rehab or anything. He just quit. And um, But I do want to mention one incident. The most famous incident that he talks about was, of course, when he was first starting out, you know, and he was playing in Detroit with the MC5 and Iggy and the Stooges, and somebody threw a chicken on stage. <laughs> and, oh, no, I've heard the story. And yeah. He threw the chicken back out into the crowd and and the crowd tore it apart. And he got, you know, he got protested by PETA and all this other kind of stuff. And his response was was like right out of WKRP in Cincinnati. He goes, I'm from Detroit. I honestly thought chickens could fly. Well, the follow up, the follow up to that story is, is somebody we're going to talk about in a minute or two. Yeah. Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. When well, Ozzy yes. Osbourne had that thing where he bit the head off the chicken or the, the uh, off the bat, bat the yeah. bat. And he said, those are rubber bat. And, um, uh, Alice's response is, don't tell him it didn't happen. It just adds to the story. Exactly. Oh, oh, yeah. Alice Cooper is very open. It's like best thing that ever happened to our career. (laughs) Any publicity is good publicity, you know? Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. All right. Let's turn to uh, Birmingham, England and discuss a band that was originally called Earth. But then when things weren't going well, their bassist, Geezer Butler, looked across the street and in a retro cinema, they were playing Mario Baba's Black Sabbath. And so that's where they took their name. And so, Bill, do you remember when you first ran across Ozzy and the gang? Uh, Ozzy and the gang, like I knew of in grade school, but I really got into them in high school. Like I, I had the bootlegs, I had, you know, the whatever. And I remember, you remember when you used to get those Columbia house, you know, 10 CDs for a dollar or yep. 10 LPs for, I got that and I played the crap out of it. Like I just, Burn. I basically the thing became unplayable because I played it so much, and and you know and it almost kind of blends into. I was of an age where in about eighty two, eighty three, I was nine, ten, and Ozzy was just kind of getting his solo career going. Yeah, and so I I really remember Bark at the Moon really well. Yeah, and I can remember so tired really well. But in terms of Black Sabbath, just the other day I was out walking and I have on my on my uh, Spotify random list of 5,000 songs, Warp, not Warp Pigs, um, The Wizard came on. Mm. 
and he starts with the harmonica and you're like, you, you think of him. Yes. He was drunk. Yes. He was high. Yes. He was uh, sleeping with anything that walked by, but the man could play. Yeah. And the band could play. Like you listen to uh, Tony Iommi's bass. You listen to Ozzy with his showmanship. You, you listen to a geezer. You listen to Bill Ward. Yeah. The boys had the chops. They weren't just the look. They had the backing. And and we have to mention, I mean, Tony Iommi, the lead guitarist or the only guitarist in it, I mean, he lost several fingers in yep. an industrial accident and created basically fake fingers to play. And that guy can write riffs forever. I mean, just amazing. So, Greg, do you remember when you first ran across Black Sabbath? Yeah, it would have been early high school years. That would have been, you know, not condoning or or praising or anything, but when I was into my heavy dope smoking days, the crowd I was hanging out with, of course, when the dope come along, Sabbath come along. And, <laughs> and that's when I learned who Sabbath was. And and I was more of an Aussie fan. I was more mm -hmm. of, a, like Bill said, with, you know, Blizzard of Oz, and then you work your way up, No More Tears, and mm -hmm. uh, No Rest for the Wicked. Those I was more there than I was Sabbath. But mm -hmm. going back, I mean, one of my favorite all-time songs, I'll go ahead and let you know, is <clears throat> <laughs> oh man when i first met you <laughs> now can you get that high not not not, not the drug. <laughs> well i can get there but no ozzy man black sabbath had that and you're talking about Izzy. i mean when he lost him fingers the reason i was reading or listening to a documentary years ago was talking about the reason that it was so hard to mimic and you could not mimic sabbath mm -hmm. was First of all, was the fact that he had metal like tips of his fingers, so he mm -hmm. had already like a a slide sound effect. Plus, mm -hmm. he was playing when they first recorded their first album. They were playing through speakers that the speakers were blown, so you had <laughs> blown speakers playing with you couldn't duplicate that sound. So they had such a unique sound. They came out with that three chord uh, demonic, you know, three chord. Yeah that that was you know unheard of at the moment so i mean they were revolutionary and i mean some of the songs i mean nib you know yeah. some of these songs are just freaking phenomenal and um i need to go and check out the 13 album which was kind of their return a few years back or whatever uh i know my buddy he's a big fan on he like i do i listen to uh satellite radio and he's big on liquid metal you know as far as uh what is it lithium or whatever it is but anyways, he listens and they play 13 a lot of their few songs off 13 album. I've never heard it, but he's like, dude, you got to listen to this. And I listen to one song. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's actually really good. Yeah. Uh, so, but no, back, regular Black Sabbath, Paranoid, Iron Man, all those are freaking gold. Classics. Yeah, they're classics. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and Jackson, I'm curious about this. And I know we're going to have a discussion about singers in a minute because I know you. But mm -hmm. Jackson, when did you first run across Black Sabbath? Well, I mean, growing up, it was pretty much impossible. We had Sirius XM growing up. We got a little yep. thing, and then, of course, we had it in the car, too. It was pretty much impossible not to hear Iron Man. I mean, what a phenomenon that song was. And even if it wasn't playing on the radio, I would have seen the movie Iron Man, you know, the Marvel movie, and it's in that movie. So, you know, that song is everywhere. And you talk about Tony Sound. He wasn't not not just playing with with those metal thimble like tips of his fingers. He also tuned down his guitar so it wouldn't right. hurt his fingers as much to play yeah. it. And he's playing through busted bass amps. Yep. So yep. 
you it, that was the origination of getting that heavy tone that like back then unheard of you, you played an electric guitar you were playing like chuck berry type stuff you know but with that setup it was pretty much impossible not to sound doomy and metal um but uh and, and yeah and like you said dad uh mario bava's black sabbath um i'm not even sure if they saw that movie but the fact that they they would see that poster and name their band after that that just tells you you know they got great taste um and uh yeah i'm sure we're going to talk about the singers uh ozzy went out the door um and uh in came dio and gillian and, and a bunch of other people i've been doing some research on black sabbath because i'm actually making a youtube video about them but, um, yeah, you know, as far as Sabbath goes, Ozzy's my favorite singer, but I think that Dio is is the greatest rock singer of all time. Ooh. So those two albums they did together, Mob Rules and Heaven and Hell, are just Jackson perfect. Let out. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jackson and I have had several uh, discussions about this, and rather heated discussions mm-hmm. at times. Because as much as I love Ronnie James Dio, and I do, God bless him. I got to meet him once because he actually lived across the street from my brother's ex-fiance in, in the Valley. And the first time I went to see, she was taking me shopping when I moved to Hollywood. And I go to her house, and I get out, and I look over, and there's this five-foot-four guy <laughs> out in the street passing football with a New York Giants jersey on with some kid and i look over and go that looks a lot like ronnie james deal but he can't be that short <laughs> and i walk inside and i go to see tina it was tina snow tom snow's daughter and i said tina who is that that looks like ronnie james deal she goes that is ronnie james deal oh <laughs> and i was like but he's like four inches smaller than me those platform like james deal those platform boots do do wonders they work yeah. magic he's wearing those like wizard boots every show to to be as tall as geezer butler but uh yeah he he had his presence is so big his personality is so big that he fills the room i will say he was a very nice guy because we walked outside to get into tina's range rover and, and tina said hey ronnie and he turns and goes yeah he goes this is uh, Matt, my friend, and he's a big fan of yours. And he walked over and he shook my hand and patted me on the shoulder. He was as sweet as could be. Wow. Well, he gotta, was really nice. I got to ask somebody, somebody give me the answer because I've never had a true answer. Who came up with the devil horns? Was it Ronnie Dio or was it Gene Simmons? All right. I say it's Dio. Come on. Well, Ronnie, it, it, Ron, Ronnie says, isn't the story Ronnie says that it's the symbol that his grandma used to give him was an old Sicilian? It's the Majorca, which is the, the, the defense against the evil eye. Mm. Yeah, it's a Sicilian thing, which if somebody is giving you the quote unquote evil eye, or as your grandfather says, Jackson, the stink eye, you would take. <laughs> You would take your hands and do that and make that sign and it supposedly would ward against that. And so, yeah, that's Ronnie James Dio. What what Gene Simmons is doing is the um, he's actually got three fingers up. Yeah. And he's doing the I love you. Yeah. Now, where he came in was like he used to wear the almost Hellraiser S gloves. Yeah. You know, he had like the two finger. Well, when he would pick, he would use his two middle fingers to pick. So his pick finger, he had his devil horns out the whole time he would pick when it was early on. And he, he claims that that's where that come from. I kind of, I don't know, you know, I, I'm going to have to go lean it towards Ronnie Dio. Because I think it was Dio. Lot. And if you watch, if you watch, there's a movie, a documentary called Metal, A Headbanger's Journey, which mm-hmm. Jackson, have, did I give that to you? Do you have that? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's the, it's a it's a good documentary, and in it, Ronnie James Dio, they're asking, said, "Did you come up with it, or did Gene Simmons?" And Ronnie James Dio kind of rolls his eye and goes, "Well, if you ask Gene, he came up with the name OJ. I mean, so you know." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you want, if you ask me, if you ask me, I don't think either of them came up with it. I think Dio's grandma did, first yeah. of all. And second of all, I will say, you know what they say, never go up against the Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> there so. you go. <laughs> But I think think what raised the ire of a lot of heavy metal fans is not that Gene used to do it because, I mean, anything's good in the public domain. The fact that he tried to trademark it. Yes. Yeah. 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 And as Dio put out, he tried to trademark OJ, literally. (laughs) He did. Well, that's coming from the man who had kiss condoms and and kiss... uh, What is it? Yeah. yeah. This is... I, now, I, I love Kiss. We'll get to Kiss in a second. I admire Gene Simmons. But when I worked in the music business, finding somebody who would say a positive thing about Gene Simmons, that was those, those were <laughs> between. Um, so I'm just saying. But, you know, no, Ronnie James Dio was a very nice person. Only met him that one time, and he was very sweet, very nice, down to earth. Never heard a bad thing about him. And, yes, he was an incredible vocalist but jackson have i had this debate going on and on for years that no i'm sorry there are several credible online community college studies that show axel rose was the greatest vocalist of all (laughs) well he has he has a one octave he has an octave over mariah carey for goodness sakes so i'm sorry he did he might have in 1987 that's enough because that was the greatest album and, of all time and I, I will I will rebut I will refute that and I will say and you know Lane Staley when he was dying of sepsis and heroin poisoning had a, a range that was only one octave and a and a semitone less than Axl Rose and the dude was doing like 30 gallons of heroin a day so sure. I'm not impressed I think Axel had a gift and he squandered it and I will say I think Dio had more power you listen to sign of the Southern Cross from Mob Rules. He's up there way up high. He's do, he's doing the high parts, but then he's got the power when it comes to the metal, okay. the metal singing. We oh, will you, move you, on. Let me, give me one second to rewrite my will. And um, <laughs> <laughs> let me just interject I, that it should be Paul Stanley. I mean, come on guys, but you do what y'all want out there. But uh, I'm just saying, uh, Paul Stanley has a great voice. Gio had a great voice, had a strong voice. He didn't have a huge range, not like Rob oh, Halford or Bruce Dickinson cares? or Jenny. Who cares Lee. about range? Dio was metal. Dio was metal. I'll say I'll say that much. And I love Axel Rose. I love Appetite for Destruction. Um, and I love parts of Use Your Illusion one and two. Uh, and I love parts of Chinese Democracy. But Dio lived and breathed metal. I think uh, Axel lived and breathed Jack Daniels, and that, no, that's what comes down to. No, he did not. He was the only sober one in Guns N' Roses. Uh, okay, maybe, <laughs> maybe, sure. But we, we've discussed this a lot, and I will say Ozzy is not to be overlooked. No. If you listen to Sabotage, which yep. is uh, one of the later um, Ozzy-era Black Sabbath albums, The Writ is the song on that album. He is way up there, as high as you as you can be. And you wouldn't expect that from Ozzy. Usually he just kind of sticks in that like kind of mid-range. But if you listen to The Writ, it's very impressive. And of course, from their solo, their first uh, studio album, Black Sabbath, he's way down there low with that real menacing stuff. Like in yeah. um, Sleeping Village, he's, he's real low and, and doomy. So 
Ozzy not to be overlooked. I don't think he's as skilled of a singer, not like classically as Dio. But then again, Ozzy was kind of just he fell into that role of singer, right? I mean, he's he's never the most conventional singer. He just sounds really, really cool, so he can get away with a lot. But yeah. um, but to tie it all together, I would say, of course, you know, '86 Trick or Treat. We got Gene Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne. So yes. That really ties our next two or two bands together. And I will say this really quick. I actually kind of love that movie. I re- I watched it recently, right. and it's not I saw the theater. I don't think it it's bad. bad. Everybody says it's bad. I don't think it's bad. I think it's really fun. I would even say that I think it's more fun than Night of the Demons. So I'll put that out there. <laughs> there you go again. <laughs> And it's trying to start fights. All right, buddy. But anyway, my initiation to Black Sabbath was through Ozzy. Um, like you guys, I grew up with MTV. Uh, Greg, I think you and I are about the same age. I was born in April 72. Um, and so I grew up with MTV. And I remember MTV early on. Greg, you probably remember this. Played those live videos of Ozzy doing Iron Man and Paranoid from Speak of the Devil like over and over again on MTV. Don't repeat every hour. Yeah, absolutely. And so that was kind of my initiation, listening to the VJs talk about that being Black Sabbath. And so me going and going back and and kind of uh, looking at those early albums. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm a huge Sabbath fan. Um, I will tell you this story. My brother Brian and I worked for a couple songwriters at Lieber and Stoller Music in what's called the 9000 building in West Hollywood. And the 9000 building overlooks the Rainbow. The Rainbow is where like every metal guy went to go drink and party in the 80s because that was Led Zeppelin's favorite bar in the 70s. And so the Rainbow was right across the street from me. And we were on the 12th floor. And my brother Brian had a pair of binoculars because we were always like if we got bored during the day, we'd be just looking down like the Sunset Strip and just seeing what was going on on the strip, what's going down at the whiskey, what's going on at the rainbow, whatever. And so one day I'm in my brother's office and I see a limo pull up to the rainbow and I'm like, oh, this is somebody. So I grab my brother's binoculars and I look down at what's going on at the rainbow. This this limo, the door, the passenger side door swings open. And somebody tumbles out onto the sidewalk like Dudley Moore and Arthur. And I then, think I already know who it is. Yes, I've told you this story. And then starts crawling on all fours into the bar while the limo driver's jumping up and running around and trying to grab him. It was Ozzy Ozzy. Yeah. <laughs> and what's funny is they probably served him right away. Oh, I'm sure they did because it was Ozzy. This is a guy who I remember reading an article like 10, 12 years ago. Oxford or Cambridge University in England did a study on him. How is he still alive? They did a comprehensive study on his blood and everything. I was like, how are you still living? Because he's supernatural, man. (laughs) He's the prince of darkness. Everybody's seen that scene in the dirt. Yeah, Yeah, where he sniffs the ants. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, when Tommy Lee says he couldn't hang with him, you know something's (laughs) wrong. When Motley Crue is tapping out. Yes. It's like they're already in the hotel asleep. And Ozzy's like, well, hey, Sally, why are you not cut into the, get into the, why are you not in the elevator? You wonder why the guy doesn't sing everything. Cause it's the only way he can be understood, you know, but it's just Ozzy. Oh my gosh. So I got to, I had a fake ID and I used to go to the rainbow and hang out after work. And I got to know Lemmy. 
um, I wasn't like friends with. Him. I just said I had a couple conversations with him. He was nice to me, and he always wanted to meet my bosses, Lieber and Stoller. He was fans of theirs because they wrote a bunch of stuff for Elvis, and Lemmy was a big Elvis fan. And Lemmy and Ozzy were in that same mode. It was just like, how is this guy still alive? Lemmy wrote in his biography. He went to go get a blood transfusion because Keith Richards told him that's how he stayed alive. So Lemmy goes to get a blood transfusion. They take a sample of his blood. They come back and they tell Lemmy his blood is so toxic that if they gave him normal blood, he would die. Oh, my God. <laughs> Maybe he and, he's, and, <laughs> and he still lived into his 70s. Yes, that's crazy. And he smoked. <laughs> constantly mm -hmm. and he like literally he would walk to the rainbow and he wasn't touring or recording he lived at the rainbow his apartment was literally above the rainbow and lemmy would walk into the rainbow at noon and blaze up a cigarette and start drinking jack and coke and he would drink till midnight and nobody ever saw the guy slur nothing <laughs> i mean it was it was incredible it was like how does that even happen um and he and ozzy both were of that same Vain. But anyway, all right. Black Sabbath. Do you have a favorite Black Sabbath song or story or whatever? Bill, you go first. Well, I love the Paranoid album. I love their first album. And actually, I love I even love Live and Let Die. Or not Live and Let Die. Never Say Die. I really enjoy that album. Uh, but my favorite song off the Paranoid album is Hand of Doom. Mm. Love that song. I it's love that slow song. build and it's really a drug song but i mean is it a vietnam song like i love the song but i will give jackson credit i love neon nights mm -hmm. i mm -hmm. love that tune so but i would say hand to doom if you got to put a gun to my head and crank it that's what i'd go for nice nice uh greg you've already said but what what else do you want to say about black side favorite songs if you want to add another one in there throw it out there uh, definitely Sweet Leaf, uh, of course, Ooh, man, yeah. NIB, definitely Iron Man because Road Warriors wrestling, you know, they come out with Iron Man, that's when I yeah. first introduced, Snowblind, a freaking oh, yeah. oh, such a good song. It is. Um, I will go ahead and praise their newest album, Ozzy's solo album that he just came out with a couple Ooh, years ago. Oh, I haven't heard that long. It is so freaking phenomenal. Like, go listen to it. Post Malone has his song on, there's a few others, but it's Ozzy's newest album. I praise it. It's great. It's back to good metal. Uh, go check it out, man. It's really good. Wow. All right. Jackson, what about you? I got a couple songs here. One will, will reign as the victor. But um, first I want to say an unconventional one not many people talk about. After Forever from Master Reality. It's a Christian Black Sabbath song. Mm -hmm. uh, Geezer oh. Butler was tired of them being called satanic, so he made a Christian song, and Ozzy sings it, if you can believe that. <laughs> um, but uh, as far as my favorites go, Hand of Doom, you, you mentioned, uh, Bill, that's so great, the, the bass line, and I love that part where Ozzy's like, Vietnam, Napalm. I love that part. It's so cool. <laughs> um, all the Paranoid is fantastic, but I, I have to say my favorite song, and it comes from my favorite album is Spiral Architect, and that's from Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath from 73. Oh, yeah. That is my favorite album, and Spiral Architect is my favorite song. It starts off with some some beautiful uh, acoustic guitar, then it gets right into the heaviness. I love that. Uh, so that's my favorite song, but I have to say of the Dio era, Heaven and Hell from, from the album of yes. the same Oh, fantastic that, tune. 
that's such a great song, such great lyrics in there. And it's got that edge to it, that Dio, like mystical, mythological edge to it. You know, he likes to write about the Lord of the Rings type stuff, um, very similar to Robert Plant. So I was going to say, if, if you've ever heard it. his rainbow stuff with Man on the Silver Mountain, that kind of yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very epic in scale. You feel like, you know, you're participating in a Dungeons and Dragons campaign or whatever, whenever you listen to, to Dio. So, um, so that, yeah, Spiral Architect, my favorite overall, but Heaven and Hell from the Dio era. And I have to ask you, Greg, really quick, what is your favorite Ozzy solo song, if you had to just pick one? I know you, I know that's your, your forte. Oh, my gosh, that is so freaking hard. Uh, yeah. Oh, God, I don't know that I could. Um, I may have to go with Mr. Tinker Train. That song is so creepy. Suicide Solutions um, Ooh, are yeah, coming home. Um, Mr. Crowley. Mr. Yeah. I love Mr. Crowley. That organ in the beginning is so good. Yes. The whole the whole album of Blizzard of Oz yes. uh, is is phenomenal. I don't know, man. That is so hard. Like anything off of um gosh, man, that's so tough. Anything off of No uh No Rest for the Wicked, anything off that album, yeah. I put it up. I mean, my best. That's my favorite album. First one he did with Zach, yeah. Yeah, and, Zach Wilds, man. Oh, he's incredible. And and by the way. Uh, I don't think this gets enough love. Uh, Tribute, the live album he did for Randy Rose, yes, is a I fantastic had live album. I played, I played the crap out of that album. Yes, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah but the, fantastic. The, the intro to Crazy Train, phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Dreamer. That laugh is so the, iconic. I love the song Dreamer. I think it's such a good song. Yes. But the, the other one that nobody mentioned that I love is Changes. Oh, oh yeah, volume yeah. four. Yeah. yeah, that's that's my that's one of my favorite rock ballads of all time. I would say, um, and that kind of kicked off the whole power ballad thing. It sounded like yeah. it's like they're they they take a break from the epic you know hard rock of like Snow Blind and stuff like that from that album, and it, it sort of sounds like a like if Ozzy was singing an Elton John song. Um, but uh, yeah, one of my favorite power ballads from Volume Four. Yeah. Volume Four is one that's often overlooked. I feel like. Yes. And it does have some weird parts like there's a track called fx which is just a minute and 13 seconds of sound effects which is kind of like whoa they were high but uh, there's there's also good <laughs> stuff in there i think there's one called like cornucopia and that one was pretty good mm -hmm. so um lots of good stuff from that one you really can't go wrong with the aussie stretch of albums i think technical oh. ecstasy is probably their weakest one but uh you know and never say die is just just above it by a little bit but you know from from black sabbath through uh sabotage it's just perfect yeah and my, I would throw in one of my favorite songs, Symptom of the Universe. Oh, which yes. I love. I love that album. Yeah. 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 Symptom of the Universe is from Sabotage. Also another one, National Acrobat. I think that one's from Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Yeah. Uh, that's a fantastic song as well. I love those kind of cosmic ones, like Planet Caravan. That's another one. I, I yeah, find, my, I find myself humming uh, Fairies Wear Boots. Yes, oh, that's I love that one. one too. Which that's is basically great. just Ozzy recounting an LSD trip he had. Which is, <laughs> well, what else do you? What do you? You've come to expect that, but uh, yeah, such great, just iconic all the way through. You listen to a Black Sabbath album, even if you haven't heard the album before, and you've heard a couple songs from it because they're playing in movies and on the radio. And I, I will go to bat for if folks haven't listened to it, their reunion live album that they get did in the late nineties is very good. It's very, very good uh, with really good covers of their classic songs. So I would definitely encourage people to check that out. Yeah, Cause cool. they were, they, that was the one where they had been away for so long. They yep. finally, you know, mended fences enough to get out. And, and they and went I, out for, I think they went out for a good 10 years. They did. And I, I want to bring this up. 
I used to have it. I may still have it because I've got boxes of CDs just like in closets. Um, but I used to have, here was the deal. Back in 92, Black Sabbath reunited with Ronnie James Dio. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, and the music video they did was directed by Wes Craven, by the way. Um, and But if you go back and look at that tour, Ronnie James Dio got ticked off because Tony Iommi and Geezer Butler decided to do a couple of dates with Ozzy Osbourne where Black Sabbath would open up for Ozzy and then Ozzy would play and then Ozzy and Black Sabbath would play together. And Ronnie James Dio got mad and left. So do you know the vocalist who filled in on those few California dates for Black Sabbath? I think I, I think I have heard it. Well, it wasn't Coverdale, was it? Rob Halford of Jesus. Oh, what? That's a super group right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I used to have the bootleg of Rob Halford singing, Rob Halford doing Iron Man, Paranoid, you name it. It was incredible. That's awesome. The the other Sabbath song that I couldn't remember the name of, and I had to look it up, is I used to go to this club in the early 90s to have a couple drinks with friends and stuff, and it was Super Tsar. Yes. Mm. Oh, yes. The instrumental. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's from Volume to... Four as well. Yeah, yeah that's a I... fantastic song. Oh, that's on, no, that's on Sabotage. Oh, okay, yeah, Sabotage. yes, uh, all they, you know, fantastic. And even when they do an instrumental, like there's one, there's like a forty second track. Um, I think it's on Sabotage as well. I think yeah. it becomes it comes before Symptom of the Universe. It's just like an acoustic guitar track, and even that is so fascinating. But it's just a forty second, you know, guitar track. So they can make they can make anything engaging. Yep. Absolutely. So anything we want to talk about to wrap up Black Sabbath before we turn to New York City to a band that <laughs> that at one time was voted the most popular band in the world in the 1970s. Nobody mentioned Zero the Hero. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That, and well, <laughs> Ian Gillen. Yeah. Who's Ian a friend Gillen. of my brother's. Yeah. That was the the 83. I believe it was 83 album. And um if you listen to that closely, Zero the Hero, um, Izzy Stradlin has admitted that he has stolen riffs from that to do Paradise City. Oh, really? Yes. If you listen to Zero the Hero closely, there are certain riffs Izzy Stradlin took to write uh, songs for Appetite for Destruction. Like, I, I've that heard is... the stories of that album, and they're just, oh, oh. It, it, it's just a gong show with that Crazy. album. Crazy, <laughs> yeah. Ian Gillen is, Tony Iommi takes Ian Gillen out for drinks, and he wakes up hungover. His manager calls him and says, what did you do? And Ian goes, what do you mean what I do? You just joined Black Sabbath. He goes, I did? <laughs> what? I was going to ask you guys about how you felt uh, about Born Again, and because Disturbing the Priest, I think, is a really great song from that one. Uh, really awesome vocals from Ian Gillen. But another thing it's that often gets It's an underrated album, I think. Yeah, I agree. And I love the album art too, but Glenn Hughes was also in Black Sabbath. Many people forget yep. Glenn Hughes from Deep Purple uh, did the Seventh Star vocals. I, I don't know how. I mean, so many vocalists went in and out of the door. I mean, now we know Rob Halford was in Black Sabbath for a time. Right. So uh, <laughs> pretty much everybody's been in Black Sabbath. But the vid- the video for Zero the Hero is an homage to horror films. Oh, I haven't seen the video. I've oh, I remember when it came out in '83 or whatever. Yeah, look it up. Yeah, I'll have to look it up because I don't remember it. So, oh, cool. All right. Well, let's turn to New York City and a band that I know is near and dear to Greg Amortis's heart. Oh, yeah. Let's the Ramones. Out, Kiss. Yes. All right. 
You Grant, wanted the go best. Ahead. You got Grant. the best. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and gush on Kiss. When did you discover Kiss, Greg? Oh, at such a young age. I, this is why. This is why Kiss will always probably remain my favorite rock band of all time. Is because I've said this on Land of the Creeks many, 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 many times. Go back and listen to our Kiss episode. The very first rock song I ever remember was when Wolfman Jack introduced I Was Made For Loving You by Kiss. I was sold right then. I was like, who is this? Coming through that little boom box. I was like, what in the world? Outside playing baseball or whatever I was playing in the yard. And I was sold right then. I'm like, I've got to know who this is. Like, dude, the, the riff. And that's Dynasty, man. Dynasty is my favorite Kiss album. And I'm just sitting here like, oh, my gosh. Like, And I had, as a kid growing up, I had every cassette that they ever came out with. At one time, I had 22 of their cassettes. Wow. And that's 22 studio albums. And then, of course, you know, that went into CDs and that went into yada, 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 and just the merchandise and just everything about it. The, the juggernaut of Kiss itself. But, uh, man, it's the greatest for me. The greatest front man in rock music is Paul Stanley. I mean, he just... I don't know, man. It's just something about his persona. He's got great pipes, man. He does. And it's his look is everything about him. The theatrics that kiss was of the day, you know, with Gene Simmons and the, you know, of course the blood and the spit and fire. And then you had, of course, Peter Chris, you know, with his drum kit going up and the 50,000 drums that he only used like 10 of, but had the biggest yeah. drum kit at the time. <laughs> and just all the things, all the theatrics that they did, I mean, was just phenomenal. Were they the best band in the world? No, but they were right. definitely one of the best theatrical bands. And that's why, I mean, they, they will always probably remain my favorite band, mainly because of nostalgia reasons and purposes, but they did have some phenomenal songs. I mean, everything Absolutely. up until a certain point. Uh, after Revenge, no. But before Revenge and Down, I mean, just such great stuff. And me personally, great. Eric Carr will always be my favorite drummer. Uh, he came in... He actually come in. He was amazing. He was, you know, Kiss gets, and we'll talk about this in a second, Kiss gets knocked for not being great musicians, but Eric Carr was a great drummer. Oh, he was phenomenal. Yeah. Listen to Creatures of the Night. And Absolutely. Compare Creatures of the Night to anything Peter Chris did. I'm not knocking Peter Chris, but Eric took it to the next level. And, Absolutely. Oh, my gosh, man. I, I still, I, I don't know if I told you guys, but like Pearl and I was sitting here the other night, and I was thinking of, of Eric for some reason. I can't remember, maybe research, whatever it was. But I went back and I went through this little rabbit hole of of listening to it was God gave rock and roll to you that yeah. came on and I found out you know that was the last time that anybody seen Eric Carr on video nah. and Eric did not play that drum that was totally Eric Singer but they did bring him out because he was battling cancer at the time they did bring cancer him out. of the heart which is yeah. incredibly rare yeah they said it's like you know a thousand people in the world's ever had it or whatever. yeah rare so i'm sitting here watching that which gave me to listen to some oh man and tears going down my eyes i told pearl and she looked over at me i'm crying i'm like oh my god it still affects me today when i talk about that guy he, he meant so yeah. much man great band great songs great theatrics they are my favorite rock band i i can't argue with you i mean i saw getty lee interviewed and of course rush were the first band to open for kiss when kiss headlined and and Getty Lee said, hey, look, you can say what you want about Kiss as musicians. Mm -hmm. He said, but you cannot knock their work ethic 
and you cannot knock how much they give to the fans. They give their fans a show. Mm-hmm. And, and I completely agree. I have seen Kiss Live, and it is still one of my favorite shows I have ever, ever seen. The first time I saw them was on the Crazy Nights tour. Mm-hmm. They are amazing live. Phenomenal album. The first yeah. time and only time, unfortunately, I have seen them was Hot in the Shade tour. Mm-hmm. I did get to see, of course, that was Eric Carr. They basically did... Um, the first set, there was nobody opening. It was straight kiss. The first two hours was them doing stuff from hot in the shade and that kind of stuff. They had this killer laser show Sphinx in the back. And then it was lights out intermission. And then the old kiss logo come down and they came out and they performed all the, you know, rock and roll night and the stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, so it's such a great show, man. And getting to see Eric Carr live was freaking phenomenal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I saw him for the first time, like I said, on the crazy nights tour and Ted Nugent was opening for him that night. Oh, and, <laughs> and this is what happened. So it was supposed to be a general admission concert. So first come first serve, you know, you can seat, sit wherever you want. There were, you know, you just, that's the way it was. It was in Huntington, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. But the mayor of Huntington at the time was a huge Kiss fan. So he sectioned off the first eight rows just for him and his buddies. Ted Nugent did not like that. He gets up to the mic and he goes, and I, listeners, I'm sorry, this is going to be politically incorrect. It's Ted Nugent. He gets up and the first thing he says before he plays a single note is, hey, look, they quarantined the AIDS patients up here. Oh, Lord. But anyway, Ted put on a great show. Kiss put on a great show. All right. Bill, when did you first encounter Kiss? My first recollection of Kiss is Lick It Up. Yeah. Because when I was about, I'm going to say eight, that album came out. And so I don't, I didn't have the pre uh, ordained knowledge of them with the makeup. I knew them as non makeup. Mm-hmm. And what I, and my favorite, I know you're going to ask later your favorite song. My favorite Kiss song is Domino. Nice. And I find that they, they are at their hardest when they don't have the makeup on. Yeah. Lick it up and Domino. I know that they're, you know, 15, no, at least 10 years apart or whatever, but they, those two albums I find are their hardest driving albums. I think when they get the makeup on, they're the theatrics. They're the, you know, for the girls and they're for the uh, fireworks and they're for the confetti that falls down. But when they're without their makeup, they're straight ahead rock and rollers. Yeah. And and that's the. They looked terrible. But they oh, sound. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, mean, Gene Simmons has said that he looks back on the on the um, Tears Are Falling video and he says, "I look like the ugliest transvestite ever." <laughs> <laughs> but, but I will give them credit. Like, I have gone back and forth on Kiss over the years. Like them, um, dislike them. Like them, um, dislike them. And I've I've watched all the interviews with uh, Getty Lee because being a huge Rush fan, uh, yeah. I know all the stories. And I saw that same interview and, and, and Getty said, you know, love them or hate them. They gave the audience everything they could give them. Yep. They would play three and a half hours if the audience wanted them because they came up through the, through the clubs in New York city. They yep. did not get any push from any major record label. 
and they knew they had a limited skill base per se as musicians, but they knew they had to make up for it in enthusiasm and rock and roll straight ahead. I have seen them twice. Uh, in our local uh, town, one that's just east of me, Oshawa, Ontario, they had a contest all across North America. The, the town that gave the most votes got them live, and Oshawa won in, yeah. I don't know, I'm going to say 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I was about five rows from the front. And at a certain point, Gene has got, he's got that metal outfit that's, you know, it's, it's almost like a chest plate, but it kind of yeah. lets his legs move. Yeah. And, but it's got almost, it dips down almost as like a little phallus down below. Yeah. And he's grinding and he, and he locks his eyes right on me. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that feel? And, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not 27 with double D's. Don't be looking at me like that. <laughs> And shaking your metal wang on me, okay? Just keep on playing. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Gene had his eyes on Bill. Oh, oh he, yeah. And I, he might have even given me a wink. And I'm like, I got to get another beer. Get me out, you know. Yeah, yeah. But but I will say, when they play rock and roll all night and that confetti falls down, like, uh-huh. it is the party atmosphere. It is. Among it. all parties. It is. And they, they, they had such an aura about them. When they hit the stage, like... Yeah, when you look at, and you were talking about their heavier stuff was when they were, you know, unmakeuped. And there's a reason for that. Like, if you look at their their discography, they followed the times. Like, when you get into Carnival of Souls and you get into these different albums, you know, they, they had that grunge album. They had the revenge album. Oh, that was terrible. That grunge album was terrible. It was, it I was. will not hear it. I love Carnival of Souls. We'll go oh, that. That it was terrible. Revenge, Revenge was a great album, but that yeah. Carnival of Souls was terrible. That was will be hiding. But, but, to, but, but to Greg's end, as they follow the trends, they had yeah. that album or two in the late 70s that followed the disco trend. Dynasty. I mean, Dynasty. And, and, and a lot of the fans were like, what the hell is this? Well, yeah. I, I want a rock and roll band. Hell? I don't want to hear the Bee Gees. I loved it. Like, Dynasty is my favorite album. Every song on Dynasty is phenomenal. And then you go into Unmasked, which was another disco-esque album, which is really good. Uh, you got music from The Elder, which was completely out there, but that was when you were introduced to Eric Carr. And if you listen to that album, skip the first three songs and then listen to the latter parts, that's a great album. <laughs> I mean, It's so, an underrated album. I agree it, with you, Greg. Even though I prefer Creatures of the Night. I thought Creatures of the Night was an amazing album. Oh, it's phenomenal. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm gushing. <laughs> No, go right ahead. I go right ahead. Jackson, when did you first discover Kiss? Well, I had always heard them on the radio, you know, like Detroit Rock City, whatever. But I think the first real memory I have me, so you always well, yeah. I think the first real memory I have of Kiss is going to the Kiss Coffee House in Myrtle Beach. Yes. And it's like you, you can buy like a $50 Kiss coffee cup. Oh, <laughs> your mom got so mad at me because I bought you a coffee cup that, that said hotter than hell. And your mom got so <laughs> mad at me, but you had that coffee cup I bought for you. Yeah, you, Jackson and I went to the Kiss Coffee House when it was still around and he thought it was great. And all his mom wanted to kill me. It's <laughs> awesome. Well, you get to see like Gene's uh, axe base yep. in there and yep. stuff. So it was awesome. And the whole thing, it had like the giant boots outside of it. It was a yep. really cool place. But yeah, I remember that. And then, of course, you know, as soon as I started getting into metal, you know, God of Thunder is one of the first oh, things that you go yes. to. That's such a good song. And you watch him do it live. Gene, Gene Simmons is spitting blood all over himself and his base. And it's just, it's a gruesome theatrical show. But, um, but, uh, can I say really quick, uh, 
Carnival of Souls. <laughs> Carnival of Souls is uh-huh. a fantastic album. There are two great songs on it, and I think that I think it's underrated. I, you know how much I love Alice in Chains. They were totally ripping Alice in Chains off because yes. they toured. They toured with Alice in Chains, and they saw how many fans they had, and they were like, "Let's be that." So they did Carnival of Souls, and I think Childhood's End from that album and Master and Slave. I think those two songs are just as good as anything you get, like Plaster Caster or whatever. I think that that those two songs from Carnival of Souls are just as good as those Kiss classics. I mean, they've got great melodies and everything, um, and Gene sounds pretty good on them. So I don't know. I I that, I'm in the minority. I well, also love music from why, the what do you What do you mean, Gene sounds? I mean, his voice or his bass player? Yeah. Yeah, like on Childhood's End, he's got that great gruff okay. sound to him. Okay. I think he's, but um, you know, because it's not Gene my... has admitted they often brought in studio musicians to cover sure. their stuff. So I, I just well, sure. But, there's uh, that story where Ace, when Ace Frehley was well into his drinking and drugging, and mm-hmm. he was sitting in the studio, and Bruce Kulick's older brother was actually playing the song. I think on Love Gun. And yep. walked out of the studio and Ace Frehley was sitting there with a bottle of bourbon in his lap and, and, and white powder on his nose. And Ace Frehley looked up and said, how'd I play? And, and Mark Kulik said, best you ever played, best you ever sounded, you know, and walked off. So yeah, well, it's not. He's on, I mean, Ace Frehley is on the cover of Preachers of the Night. But as far as I know, he wasn't on that, most of that album. That was Vinnie Benson played that. Yeah, it was Vinnie Benson. Yeah. yeah. So, but they I had mean, no it, contractual. That was because of yep. contracts and. And whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did not perform on that album. That was straight up Vinnie Vincent. Matter of fact, he wrote uh, three or four songs on that album. Vinnie Vincent was awesome. Vinnie uh, Vincent is amazing guitar player. Go back and listen to Vinnie Vincent Invasion. Listen to his songs. Yes. It's really good. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Vinnie Vincent is incredible. But now, go ahead, I, Jack. I will not kiss one for a second. Now, I'll go to you, Jackson. I will not kiss in the fact that. They were very shrewd, and they treated band members very poorly. And that's my distaste is because of that. I don't like the 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 handling of the band itself. I don't like the way they got rid of Bruce Kulick and and the Tommy yeah. Thayer situation and and Eric Carr. I, there's so much hatred I have towards Kiss, but they'll always still be my favorite band. Go ahead, Jackson. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a business. People forget that, that behind the scenes, there's so much wheeling and dealing going on. Like, your favorite albums, it was hell to make those albums. I mean, there was so many contracts and, and stuff that had to be done. And before they even make the album, they're fu- they're figuring out how many live venues they're going to be able to play and how many seats they're going to be able to fill. So it is all a calculated business. Now, are we going to get into Kiss Alive? Everybody says Kiss Alive, the greatest live album, Kiss Alive. And the pumped-in crowd noise on it the was album. Not, oh man, it was not alive. Yeah, it was not. Yeah. There's not hardly alive. ever alive. There, there's that famous line from Pete Townsend about the Who's album, the Who Live at Leeds, and Pete Townsend said it was neither. It was, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and and that's the way it was. Yeah, it was no. I mean, most live albums are Guns and Roses. You know, if the first half of you know, of, of, the uh, the lies EP mm-hmm. that's all studio. Yeah. Live or live two was all studio. Uh, yeah. It's all studio, but that's typical. Yeah. Yeah. I to- but I, I was going to say, but you think of the greatest, al- you know, live albums of all time, like, yeah. Uh, live at Leeds. Yeah. I don't know if the Almond brothers at Fillmore, I don't know if that was pumped in. Oh, it was overdubbed. There were parts overdubbed. Yeah. Overdubbed. Yeah. Overdubbed, yeah. yeah. So I guess they were just following the trend, but 
you know, I've seen the documentary where all these other bands are huge fans. And once they realized it was pumped in, they were kind of like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was their uh, great, though. They were bankrupt. Like, their studio albums sucked, you know, as far as yeah. money-wise. So they, they pull everything out. We're going to do this live album. Or, you know, they were literally going under. If it had not been for live, exactly. you know, they, there would be no kiss. You're right. I mean, they went to Kobo, uh, Kobo Hall or whatever it's called in Detroit, and yeah. where they always sold that place out. They were big in Detroit, and Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley asked the people afterwards who were signing, uh, you know, autographs. I said, "Why don't our album sell?" They said, "Well, you guys sound better live than you do on the album." And that was like Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons looked at each other and was like, "We're doing a live album," and <laughs> and it really wasn't a live album. But the reason why most people don't do purely live albums is because people screw up and you know and you can't have that so you've got to go back and 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 do those things i mean that's why i love the rush album all the world's a stage you hear all the warts like you hear the uh but they're they're not that many warts because those guys were were those guys you're talking about best musicians in hard rock and metal it's hard to argue rush or not at the top of the list yeah but like you you could hear when there's feedback you could hear when the sure. speaker kind of you know and like some some bands did it. but uh, i want to get on to wouldn't it have been, have been amazing in 1972 new york club seeing kiss live mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. absolutely because they weren't playing madison square gardens they were playing the gas works down the road to 500 people yeah well and the, and the cool thing was there's one story um, if you read their different biographies and stuff where they were playing out at Amityville and they're playing out at Amityville and Gene Simmons was doing the fire thing and he set his hair on fire. Was there too much hairspray in the hair? There probably was, but yeah, but yeah, those early, those early shows were, were, were kind of rough. And so yeah, but look, I give it up to Kiss. You know, I know Gene Simmons has a bad reputation. I, but that being said, you know, the guy's been doing it for how long? And even though he's not the greatest bass player in the world, and and Greg, you play bass, I play bass, Jackson plays mm-hmm. bass. He's not the greatest bass player in the world, but he's not bad, and no. he's a good songwriter. And, you know, he's, you know, existed how long in this business, which is so hard to even last a year in? Yeah, like 73, I think, is when they formed. Yeah, I mean, you got to give it up to him. I mean, got to give it up to Kiss. You got to give it up to Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. And, you know, yeah, 90% of what Gene Simmons says is BS. And, you know, he claims to have slept with 3,000 women. And it turns out that, in fact, he'd been monogamous with the same woman for 30 years. And, you know, he would just like to promote that crap. And, you know, and, and so all that kind of stuff is out there. But at the end of the day, Kiss is still out there, man. Yep. Yep. And still doing it. And their fans still come out. They'll still get forty thousand people in the, you know. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So all right. So do we have do you want to add another here? So you guys have mentioned some of them. I, I will say I have a least favorite KISS song at this point. Um, Christine 16 is kind of creepy at this point. (laughs) (laughs) If Christine 16 had been, you know, written by a 17 year old, it would have been okay. But by a 30 year old, that's kind of creepy. Um, I was going to say, it's like your buddy, uh, Lemmy's jailbait. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. No, 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 no. So one of my all time favorites, which is going blind when, you know, 
she's only 16 and I'm 93. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. It's yeah. There's some weird stuff in there, but I also want to say real quick, their unplugged album from 95 or 96 is underrated. That's a great album. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Absolutely. So, and I also, my favorite, probably my favorite kiss song is war machine. Mm -hmm. Features of the night. I love that song. So, Greg, what about you? What what other songs do you want to shout out? Uh, probably uh, "Sure Know Something" is one of yeah. my favorites. Got a cool bass riff along with "Going Blind." Uh, both of those songs are phenomenal. "Cold Gin," uh, mm-hmm. I love. Pretty much anything Gene sing, sings, and it's amazing. Yeah. So many. I said Paul, but man, Gene had such an amazing voice of of Kiss as well. So pretty much anything. Calling Doctor Love, of course. Yes. But Crazy Nights, man, Crazy, Crazy Nights, that song and Reason to Live was a phenomenal song. Oh, yeah. I don't know, man. I, I could keep going on. Nothing to Lose, Firehouse. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> Parasite, G. You want me to keep going? Or all no, I hear you, buddy. I hear you. Bill, what about you? Uh, well, I said Domino was my favorite, but I've never actually heard them do Domino live. I don't think they play it very often live. They did it on the Unplugged album. Did they? they? great version of it yeah and, and greg just alluded to the one uh the other one i was thinking of was nothing to lose yes. but uh, but i know you're a man of god i'm not going to get into what the song is about yes that's okay <laughs> and but the one that i have heard them do live which i really like them how they do it is black diamond yes they they do a really good paul does a really good on that one mm-hmm. So I can I can listen to some of them. You know, I I'm not as big a fan of the discoish stuff, but stuff that's got a rocking edge to it, I really like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Jackson, what about you, buddy? Do you have a favorite Kiss song? I'm gonna say I'm I'm with you, Dad. I'm gonna say War Machine from Creatures of the Night. I mean, yeah. Eric is slamming away at those drums, oh, but yeah. also Runners Up, God of Thunder, and Childhood's End uh, from yeah. Carnival of Souls. But I will also say from the Unplugged album, their uh, version of A World Without Heroes from yeah. Music from the Elder was really good on the Unplugged album, as well as Plaster Caster, yeah. um, because Gene Simmons is playing the same model of bass I have of acoustic bass I have, and it sounds yes. so good on those, Jackson, on those. Jackson has a limited edition. Farrington, Farrington bass, only yep. a thousand made acoustic oh, electric gosh. bass. Yes, he has one. Yeah, oh, and it's very, yeah. very similar to the one Gene is playing in that unplugged, and he sounds so good on that album. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, well, folks, so that we, you know, as much as I love Land of the Creeps, um, we don't want to turn this into a Land of the Creeps six-hour episode because my bladder. <laughs> take it so let's turn to another band in england again for a band called iron maiden uh yeah so bill what was your intro to iron maiden see i was of that age 82 83 when they were just starting to break and the music videos were just starting to hit probably aces high oh nice was the first one that kind of caught me i know like i know some of the other ones get a lot more of the credit, but Aces High uh, uh, was the one that you got to hear the peak of his uh, voice. The other one that got me, and I still love to this day, is Flight of Icarus. Yes. Absolutely love. I, you want to hear a heavy metal singer that can hit the highest peak oh. and still tell a story in it. Like The one thing I love about Dickinson is the man's got a degree in history. The man doesn't just come up with these songs, pulling them out of his behind. They've got a basis of truth yeah. to them. 
and he can weave a story while singing away and let Steve Harris wail away and let the, yes, it is absolutely. And I finally got to see them live about seven, eight years ago. And Dickinson was probably in his late forties by then, early Mm -hmm. fifties. He was running around like a 22 year old. Yeah. With Mm. the flag and Eddie's out there and the crowd is singing away. I love Iron Maiden. I do too. Absolutely. And yeah, Bruce Dickinson, because he keeps in shape, he does, um, you know, he does sword fighting. Hmm. And he's an airline pilot. Yes. Yeah. What's what's the one uh, documentary where he flew them around the world on their tour? Flight 666. That's it. Yes. Yeah. It's a great documentary. So, yeah. Yeah. Great band. Greg, when was your what was your introduction to Iron Maiden? Oh, man. Now, don't hate me for this, but I do. Remember now, of course, you know, uh, Run to the Hills, Number mm-hmm. of the Beasts were two songs I'd heard multiple times younger, uh, but I can't remember exactly when. But it's just within the last year or two that I've really tried to dive into their discography. Thanks to a good uh, friend Rick Plumundon over on Facebook. I mean, I got my Iron Maiden mouse pad beside me. He's got me nice souls and different things, man. And, and I've been diving and I love it. Uh, but yeah, Run to the Hills and, uh, of course, you know, number of the beast. I remember, uh, in high school, of course, like everybody yeah. else, but I just never did fall into the iron maiden world for whatever reason. I knew Eddie, you know, the mascot, I knew that. Right. And knew a few licks here and there, but I just never did get into that whole field. Our, our high school was not into that, that kind of thing. So I didn't get into that, unfortunately, but last couple of years, the year or so, definitely been trying to dive into it and loving it and uh, my wife's giving me a couple albums on vinyl and rick nice um so it's been really awesome dude and and i've grown to love uh seventh son of the seventh son yeah Uh, thanks a phenomenal album and the book of souls which is their newer album uh 2015 was really really good as well but uh yeah i I don't know it's probably been high school with those two songs and that's about the gist of my iron maiden knowledge until recent Gotcha. Jackson, what about you? I think the first song I can remember hearing from Iron Maiden was The Trooper. Um, and I'm actually looking at uh, the Eddie, The Trooper uh, get up right now. You have a, you gave me a figure of, of Eddie in, yep. in this Trooper uh-huh. outfit um, with the Union Jack flag and everything. Uh, so I remember hearing that for the first time. Um, it's just one of those things like Iron Maiden was so they also had the whole stage theatric thing. It's a little bit more stripped down than like Kiss or Alice Cooper, but they're it's real classy. You know, it's like it's very uh, professional. Um, and Eddie is such a great mascot. Obviously, he would go on to inspire Vic Rattlehead from Megadeth. I mean, they're basically the same kind of mascot, the skull guy oh, with yeah. something going oh, on yeah. in his head. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I love there. I the worst Iron Maiden albums aren't even unlistenable. You know what I mean? Like that's a sign of a, of a good band. And they're just so, they're yeah. all so fantastic. The bass of Steve, I mean, just, just amazing musicians. Oh. And they, Steve they play, Harris is an amazing bassist. Yeah. Yes. They play fast, they play hard and they play on beat consistently. They're, they're so professional. They got it down to a science and Bruce Dickinson, man, he can scream like the best of them. He, he has amazing lung capacity though. I will say, 
Uh, I do want to shout out the first singer from the first two albums, Paul Diano. I think I'm Paul saying Paul Diano. Yeah. Um, may I think he's also an amazing vocalist. Um, Women I, you know, in uniform. <laughs> Women in uniform. Murders in the Rue Morgue from Killers. Such yeah. amazing, amazing songs. He was a great singer as well. His um, life did not turn out well, though. He he yeah. ended up getting busted for breaking and entering. But go ahead, yeah. But um, but yeah, just just fantastic musicians all around. Um, uh, I I I'm I don't think I've ever been as big into them as like um, Alice Cooper or whatever or or Black Sabbath. I love. I went through a phase actually, like of, of a month where I listened to every single Bruce Dickinson Iron Maiden album, and I made a ranking list yeah. of them all, and they all blended together by the end of it. It was like so <laughs> many of them um, because I was listening to Thirty Years of he, Iron Maiden. He actually did a hair metal album. If you go back and listen to Tattooed Millionaire. Mm. Tattoo Millionaire is a great tune, though. It is. I I agree. It is. It's a good song. Yeah, but he did go through a phase where he kind of went off kind of off script and kind of did something different. But go ahead, Jackson. I was going to say, did he get kicked out or did he leave? I think he left. He. I think he wanted to try a solo career. He was a little frustrated at the time that Steve Harris was kind of the controlling factor in Iron Maiden when he was the front man. And then he, I, it seems like he's just made kind of friends with that because Steve Harris is the chief songwriter for Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then he battled, you know, of course, tongue cancer. Uh, yeah. And he was out for that time as well. Yeah. 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 But go ahead, Jackson. I just want to say really quick about the origins of the name of the of the uh, the band. Um, I think it was funny. We we're talking about Mario Bava earlier with Black Sabbath, but then you have Mario Bava's Barren Blood. And guess what? The Baron uses to kill someone in Baron Blood. It's an Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden. I'm wondering if there's a, there's a connection there. And something I learned recently is that Iron Maidens like weren't a real execution device. That was just like an invention of archaeologists. There were similar things, but I, I think that Iron Maidens were an invention in the 1800s, passed off as something from the medieval age. Um, I, it, amazing band, like I said, very consistent. And and out of all of the musicians on this list. I think they are like the strongest, like throughout the years. I mean, they just, they're always, they're always playing at their best. I've never seen a video of them playing live and I've been like, eh, could be better, you know, yeah. but with all, with all the, I mean, Alice Cooper had his, his moments, uh, in the eighties, you know, when Ozzy was really hard partying. And then later on when they were kind of swapping between vocalists every other night, Black Sabbath was having some issues, um, and then, of course, the band we're going to talk about after this, they had all kinds of issues. Um, but uh, but Iron Maiden, through it all, I mean, with through all the problems they've had and conflicts with the band, they never let it show on stage. I mean, they're all they're all very professional. Yep. Yeah, agreed. And oh, man, Iron Maiden for me, um, I knew of them very early on on MTV and Headbangers Ball and all kind of stuff. But when I fell in love with them is actually one of their least uh, beloved albums, but I love it. Somewhere in Time. I yeah. love Somewhere, I love in, Somewhere time. in Time. We're both, I, we're, we're on that together, yeah. Yeah, I loved Wasted Years. I loved Stranger in a Strange Land. That is what made me dig into Iron Maiden, and I've been an Iron Maiden fan ever since. So, Bill, do you have a favorite Iron Maiden song? Is there one that stands out for you? I'm going to give you five. Okay, go for it. All okay, right. wow. So, uh, Flight of Icarus. Yeah. Anybody who hasn't heard Flight of Icarus, 
please, please check it out. Yep. How is that long... on? Is that on Number of the Beast or Peace of Mind? I can't remember. It's one of those two, I think. One but of yeah. the two. I don't yeah, see. I, I didn't have them album by album. I just know that. That's okay. Great song. Yeah. yeah, great song. Um, Hallowed Be Thy Name. Yes. Fantastic tune. Oh, and it, they did a live album oh. in Santa Cruz, I believe it is, and their version of Running Free. Oh, is absolutely phenomenal. The evil that men do, yes, it's a great one. But my number one, and I, when you hear it live, the hair on the back of your neck goes up from their 1992 album, Fear of the Dark. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, oh, to hear it live again because it's one of those ones where the crowd gets into it, it starts mm-hmm. slow, it builds up to heavy, goes back to slow. I don't think you can beat it. Well, I, I will say that. One of the rumors that was going around the metal world was that one label um, chief at Geffen was trying to do a thing called the Unholy Trinity, which would have consisted of three singers singing together. Ronnie James Dio, Bruce Dickinson, and Rob Halford. Oh, man, that would have been awesome. And it never happened, but could you imagine that? Oh, my gosh. I mean, uh, all Raiders three of them at their prime, how high they could hit. Ah, uh, well, yeah. they were just, just amazing. Just absolutely amazing. But of course, Axel's better than all of them. But anyway, okay. So Greg. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not biased at all. Yeah. Uh, no, it's completely objective, Jackson. So Greg, do you have, what, do you have a favorite Iron Maiden song? Yeah. Peace of Mind was the album. Uh, that was oh, on. yeah. Um, but for me, I'll, I'll do kind of like Bill two minutes to midnight off of power slave. Nice. Absolutely love. I think, uh, bring your daughter to the slaughter. Oh, beauty. That's a fun uh, song. Yeah. Love that song. Can I play with madness? Seventh son of the seventh son. Is now, Greg, beat. you have to get as high for that song. <laughs> Which one? Or can I play with madness? Uh, can I play with madness? Can I see the crystal ball? <laughs> Bravo. Uh, I I'm gonna say Greg should have man, dude. You're I know you're a bass player, but you should have been a singer, dude. Uh, but anyways, the clairvoyant also off a of oh seven, good one, son of a seventh son. I'll leave it there. So many. <laughs> okay, there you go. You should replace the Dr Pepper guy. You should. should you should be. You should absolutely. Uh, Pearl saying no. Pearl saying no. 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 Pearl. Yeah, he's doing great. All right, Jackson, what about you? Uh, a couple runner-ups I want to say first. Um, from Somewhere in Time, which is one of my favorite albums. I love the album art, too. That one's so good. Um, of course, Wasted Years, that's a, that was a big hit. But also, there's a, there's, a, there's a long title, The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner. That's from Somewhere in Time, and that's a great song. And also Alexander the Great from that one. From mm-hmm. Killers, Wrathchild, that's got such a great bass song. Yes. And of course, R- Murders from the Rue Morgue, that's a great song as well. But my all-time favorite, I think, has got to be How Would Be Thy Name. With that awesome uh-huh. ending, it ends with Bruce Dickinson holding out name for like a minute or whatever oh. as they keep playing. And and uh, yeah, so so awesome. Uh, that song is just about a guy uh, waiting to be you know ha- be beheaded by the guillotine. So such, yeah. a, such an awesome awesome uh song but um yeah as far as albums go it's a tie between number of the beast and somewhere in time they're both cool for different reasons number of the beast has got that satanic panic element to it and somewhere in time has got that awesome like sci-fi kind of thing to it time travel element so 
uh, Iron Maiden's just, they're so epic. I mean, that's just, you think epic, you think Iron Maiden, and uh, yeah, just just fantastic. But How Be Thy Name, that's, a, that's those, a showstopper. Sorry, they're one of those bands that, you know, you get into the concert and you know 95% of the songs. Mm-hmm, Unle- yeah. un- unless they're promoting some new piece of work, it's just a sing-along. Really, it is. I mean, you can. There are certain bands you can do yeah. that, like the Rolling Stones or right, Foreigner, exactly. or you know, yeah. you just. And it's just, and I don't know. Nobody said this, but a heavy metal crowd, they get a lot of crap for being. Oh, they're druggies. They're drinks. You'll never find a more polite and respectful Agreed. crowd than a heavy metal crowd. I've never had a problem. The only time I've ever had a problem at a concert was at a country music concert. Never at a heavy metal concert. Never. <laughs> Ever. I've never had one. Like, um, I, re- I remember I saw the Scorpions with Megadeth. Ooh, and, nice. And they, the crowd, there were people that came in walkers. Mm-hmm. Because because the Scorpions have been around since the late 60s. Yeah. Yep. And if you were 30 then, right. you know, you're 75 and they they were just as everybody was so polite sir do you need to get through do you need help do you need a drink it is a metal crowd i gets a bad rap yeah i agree all right let's turn back to hollywood for a band that i know jackson and greg love and i have a sneaking suspicion that bill does as well and i've seen live and early on in their career they had a horror themed kind of thing going on especially with their first two albums Let's talk about Motley Crue. So, Greg, what was your introduction to Motley Crue? Very early. Uh, Motley Crue would have been right through middle school, right into high school. And other than Kiss being my favorite rock band, they are. Motley Crue is my rock band. They are the quintessential. When you say rock band, sex, drugs, rock and roll, they lived it. They breathed it. They ate it. They are the best, bar none, hands down. Some of the greatest songs in rock and roll history. Some of the greatest musicians in in rock and roll history, dude. Front man, they were wild, they were crazy, they were insane. And I eat and breathe Motley Crue, man. I love, love, love Motley. I got to see him with you, like you were saying, Pastor Matt. I got to see him on Dr. Feelgood fairly early on. Yeah. You know, with the 80s band, and, and they were phenomenal. And oh, I love Motley Crue, dude. Yeah, first time I saw him was actually Girls, Girls, Girls tour. White Snake oh. was the opening act, <laughs> and in Huntington, and I saw them, and they were, they were fantastic. And that was the first time that Tommy Lee had the drums that would come up out into the stage and rotate and all that kind of stuff. And yes. oh man, yeah, I, and, I had, and might I say, R.I.P. Tony Katane. Oh, yes, yes, yes yeah, that's, that's tragedy. My, yeah, my 80s crush, and yeah, she uh, gone way too young. I worked with a guy who knew her, a uh, guy by the name of Sean Bosky, and he was a pitcher for the California Angels, and Sean um, knew Tawny through Chuck Finley, because Chuck Finley, a pitcher for the Angels, was married to Tawny, yeah. and um, got to know her that way, and yeah, rest in peace. Um, yeah. I, I will say, though... <laughs> When I moved out to L.A., here's the thing. I never got to meet any of the members of Motley Crue because that was in their sober years. <laughs> when I was hanging out at the Rainbow, they were sober. They were clean and sober. It was like, oh, they're not here. They were doing yoga in Malibu. And I'm like, oh, crap. Um, was, Tommy, was Tommy actually ever sober? Yeah, he yeah. was. Yeah. Was he? 
Yeah, they're, during the Dr. Feelgood years from like 88 to like 91, 92, they were sober, clean and sober, yeah. And um, and so that was the years I was in Hollywood, and so they were nowhere to be seen because they weren't going to bars at the time. And I thought Nikki Six was the coolest human being on the face of the planet, yes. and I never got to meet him uh, because he was, you know, at that time he was he was married and clean and sober, and so I was like, ah, oh, crap. Um <laughs> So I never got to meet Motley Crue, but they were they're great live. I agree with you, Greg. They're man, oh man. They started off. You go back and you watch like the videos from Too Fast for Love and Shout at the Devil, and there's lots of horror crossover there. They got skulls, and they've got you know Nicky setting his legs on fire and all the other kind of stuff. And and he he has said he stole that their entire look and stuff from Escape from New York and The Road Warrior. Yeah. Um, and oh man, it was it was incredible stuff. So, Bill, what was your introduction to Motley Crue? My intro was relatively early as well. I can remember when the video for Too Young to Fall in Love came out. Yes. Yeah. And thinking, all right, okay. These guys, uh, I, 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 these guys are worth following. Mm-hmm. And I followed them all the way through. One of my big regrets in life is I never saw them live. They played my hometown or a local. Uh, town but 10 minutes east of here but it was about 12 years ago when they were pretty down and they were playing any place that would pay them to play because mm-hmm. yeah. they were they did get to a point where vince was a little on the paunchy side and yeah their, their shows were not exactly what they were in 1987 right and so i passed it and then you know it, it, it kind of turned around, they turned around and then they were back playing the 20,000 seat stadium. So I haven't got the chance. And is, is there a rumor? Are they coming back around or are they? Done? Yes. No, they're touring again. Um, they're getting ready to tour with Def Leppard, Poison and Joan Jett. Yep. And actually I gave, cause Jackson will graduate from high school uh, with college credits and also, Jackson will turn 18, and I gave him the choice. What do you want for your birthday? Do you want to go see Motley Crue, Death Leopard, Poison, and Joan Jett? Or do you want to go see Joe Bob? And he immediately said, Joe Bob. <laughs> Joe Bob. So, <laughs> yeah, so we're Not going to see idea. we're going to see Joe Bob because he was like, no, 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 no. We're going to see. So, uh, but yeah, they're touring again. And um I've seen, but uh, I've seen Motley, I've seen all those bands live and, but Motley Crue puts on a heck of a show. They do. They, yeah, they really do. So Jackson, what was your intro to Motley Crue? Well, of course I had heard like Home Sweet Home and, and Kickstart My Heart on the radio and stuff, but I, I really did uh, seek out um, Shout of the Devil and that whole album is just so fantastic. It's oh, so yeah. accessible. You know, it's heavy, but it's not like, it's not like screaming in your face, blasting out your eardrums. It's it's anthemic. It really is. You can you can nod your head to yeah. it, and they write such great melodies that you can sing along to. Um, so it's real simple, easy to play. That's why they had so many cover bands. Um, but uh, yeah, they they just had an awesome presentation. They're going back to shock rock, um, and uh, yeah, they are very horror centric. I mean, that whole shot at the devil thing is like satanic panic going back to that. Uh, that classic style so um yeah and and my, one of my favorite things their cover of helter skelter on that album is oh, so good yeah, really. and that's bringing it back to the real satanic panic of you know back then in the 60s so 
um, in the 70s. But um, yeah, fantastic. That's that's the first album I really got into them. Um, and then, of course, you know, all the albums after that up to the 90s, that is, are, are classics. And, um, you know, I don't even hate any of their albums, but there is a definite dip in quality during that decade. Like the late 90s, ugh, it just really drops off. Who was, the guy, who was the guy they brought in to sing? John Karabi. John yeah. Karabi. Yeah, great. he came in for the self-titled album, yeah. There Which was I think is underrated. I think it's, it's not, not bad. a bad album. Yeah, but then bad. there's Generation Swine, and then they did I like did that like album. A... No, not for me. I like New Tattoo as well. New Tattoo's really good. I like that song. I agree. For me, it'll always be classic early 80s. Yeah. That's, that's well, the good stuff. I, I don't think you can argue that. I mean... Saints of I Los think Angeles that, is a really good album. Though. Saints of mm-hmm. Los Angeles is a really good album. I agree. I'll agree with I, that. That is a return to form. Yeah. I, I like all their albums. I will say that, though, I don't think that they ever improved upon. And I and I think, and Nikki Six has said this, with maybe the exception of Dr. Feelgood, I don't think they ever uh, improved upon Too Fast for Love and Shout at the Devil. Uh, I yeah. think those two albums were just perfect. And they were, they were so aggressive back then, right? They had the passion in them. Um, yeah. And it, you could really sense that. Like it was it was a mix between like punk and even like elements of like harder, like heavier metal, like almost little elements of thrash in there at times. Well, they I were just it, going at it. It was. And I think that hits with Nikki Six. I think because he wrote a majority of Motley Crue's songs. So I oh, think yeah. when you look at it, I mean, that was in his really drug induced days. That was in yeah. his you know, heroin, really heavy days. So I think he was in a dark place. I think a lot of the songs definitely uh, spoke about those things in a rock and roll way. And I think once he started becoming sober and that, I think his songs did let down a little bit because, and and thankfully, don't get me wrong, I'm glad he is sober, you know, thank him. But I think he lost the edge on his writing as well. I mean, still tremendous. I mean, but that early on stuff was phenomenal. But I mean, you put on the radio live wire, Oh, and yeah. you can't help but just start shaking and dancing and yeah. banging your head. Yeah. The Wild Side. Oh, Wild Side oh, yeah. is great. That's a great oh. song. And I actually had to hide that. I went to see them and I bought the T-shirt. Um, <laughs> kicking ass on the Wild Side. You know, Motley Crue, Bad Boys. I had to hide that T-shirt from my oh, parents yeah. that I bought at the, at, at the concert. Because I was... <laughs> I was, I was 15 and I, you know, but I, yeah. Oh my gosh, man. I mean, but you go back to, you know, and, and Mick Mars has said this is like too fast for love goes platinum. He's like, are you kidding me? That's a demo. Yeah. He's like, that's, that's not even a, that's not even a fully produced album, you know? And it's just like, and, but Nikki six, who did not start off, he has become, I, I, I think Nikki six has become a great bassist. And a yeah. great, you know, but early on, if you read like interviews with people who knew him, they were like, he did not know the difference between a guitar and a bass. He didn't know, you know, he knew nothing. And, and there were like, you know, there's, I forget the band, but there was a band where a um, female bass player was talking about teaching Nikki Six to play bass when he's in the band London. Yeah. Before he was in Motley Crue. It's like he didn't even know how to play. And yet somehow he writes all these amazing songs. And Greg, you're right. He wrote 90% of Motley Crue songs. Yeah. And the guy barely knew how to play. I know. He he basically picked the bass up to look cool, get chicks, and score. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's it. 
so he's like, hey, I'll play bass. It's easy. You know, it's, you thump a note. And, and he does. You listen to early stuff. It's not technical at all. No. I mean, he's playing E string a lot of the most of his songs. Yes. Yes. You know, does, does, does anybody know how is Mick Mars doing these days? Not well. Not well at all. Like, is he yeah, able to tour or do they have to bring in a ringer? No, he's still touring, yeah. but he can barely move. I they mean, he's got a disease where his bones are fusing together. Well, yeah, well, yeah, I knew I knew all that. Like, do they have yeah. to basically, like an athlete, dope him up for two hours and then he's done? Yes. I mean, I, I do know that somebody um, posted that, like, he's taken, like, B12 shots and all that kind of stuff before he goes on stage because he is hurting. He's in bad shape. And it was really sad what I read. It was like when the crew got back together, you know, well, they got back together in the nineties for generation swine and new, you know, new tattoo and so forth. But then when they got back together for like right before saints of Los Angeles, when Nikki six went and found Mick Mars, they found him basically living in a studio apartment, sleeping on a mattress with no sheets and barely able to move. Yeah. I mean, he was in bad shape. And so they kind of rescued him. And one of the reasons why Tommy, especially Tommy Lee, because uh, Tommy Lee was kind of like done with Motley Crue. He was like, I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm, I'm, but one of the reasons, to Tommy's credit, that he came back and did all the shows and is continuing to do the shows is for Mick. So that Mick can earn money and be taken care of because he has no health insurance and all that other kind of stuff. And and so they all want to kind of take care of him. He's kind of like the father figure. In the how how old would he be now? Oh, he is. Uh, he, was, he had ten years. Old, on he was him. much older. Yeah, yeah, he's much older than those other guys. And those other guys are in their late fifties. So he's got to be pushing seventy. Yeah, I can tell you right here. And he's yeah he's not doing years well. Old, born in fifty one. All right, so yeah, seventy years old. So he's not doing well. Um, but he is one of those guys, again, going back to my career in the music business, I heard people complain about Tommy Lee. I heard a lot of people complain about Vince Neil. Um, I never heard a, a bad word about Mick Mars. Mm-hmm. Well, Mick was one, if you watch The Dirt, too, which I highly recommend, check out The Dirt yeah. uh, from Netflix. But he was one of those that played and went back home. Like, he wasn't a partier. He wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they would do the trash and he would go back home. You know, he's like, yeah, y'all do what you want to do, youngsters. I'm going back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he didn't he didn't live with them. Yeah, he didn't uh, he didn't want he, it. Yeah, I think he'd go to his hotel room, have a cheeseburger, and go to bed. I yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm past the age of that, guys. Y'all go do your thing. You know, yeah. go watch Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, and I have a good time. Well, to him, you've seen you've seen one boob, you've seen fifty of them, or whatever. Just go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But he's had a rough life. Like yeah. he had a collection of like 50 guitars and they were stolen when he was sick. I mean, he says he's just had a rough go. And but to their credit, I mean, if you read the bur- the book, The Dirt, um, Nikki Six, Tommy Lee and Vince Neil do not come across as very likable guys. Right. Uh, they come across as as kind of just coked up scumbags. Mick Mars comes across as a really good guy. Um, And, you know, and and Nikki Six has even said that he's like, uh, he said, I don't even know if what I said in the dirt was accurate Mm -hmm. because I was on heroin at the time. You know, I I have no idea if that's even true or not. Um, But all I know is when I was in Hollywood, nobody would say an ill word about Mick Mars. They all seemed to like him. 
he's kind of the unspoken hero and I, I think an underrated guitar player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, he's got the skills to back it up. I mean, you listen to Kickstart My Heart, and it's like, wow, this guy can really shred. Heck, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, so, Matt, be, being in that industry, the in the dirt, the manager comes off fairly well. Is he a known guy? Like, he sounds like he's done this. You know, they're one of 50 bands he's done. Was he yeah, a known guy? Well, there are, there, they went through several managers. Um, Doc McGee was one of them at one time. Doc McGee was didn't have the best reputation um, in the music business. Um, he was really greedy, and he wasn't. Uh, he he kind of had a reputation, allegedly, I will say, as using his management business to kind of have a way to wash his drug money. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Because uh, he managed Bon Jovi and Kiss and Motley so, Crue and Skid Row and yeah, he said he did the Scorpions and yep, yep, he did a bunch and even come it, in with uh, Metallica at one time. Yeah, at one time and but it it was kind of at that time he had a reputation of just being a drug dealer, um, who was just using you know his music acts to have a way to wash his money. So. I, I don't know if that's true. I just know that was the rumor at the time. And so um, Vince Neil had a horrible reputation. Um, and uh, he was a guy. And Tommy Lee didn't have a great reputation either. Um, Nikki Six, I will say this. There were people who had problems with him, but they always said the same thing about him. They always said, don't underestimate him. He's a really smart guy. He's definitely a business guy for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. They always said, Nikki is a really smart business person. Do not underestimate him. And uh, that's proven to be proven to be true. The guy's really wealthy. So. And he's made it this far and the guy's a high school dropout and he's worth like 50 million dollars. So <laughs> and he's, I know he's got a show where he interviews different guitarists that come in and play the he favorite does. riffs. So he's still in the music. He doesn't even need the money, but he's still he's still in the business just because, you know, he he loves music. Well, and it's funny if you watch there's on Amazon Prime, there's a documentary on Slash and Nikki Six is in the documentary and he says he says a funny thing. He says like Slash will call him and say, hey, I'm going to come over and see you. And Nikki will say. Slash, you can't drive a guitar. You can't drive a car with a Les Paul on your lap. He said because <laughs> Slash never ever does not have a guitar in his hand. He always has a guitar. In his, it's impossible to have like a dinner with Slash because he's just got a Les Paul with him at all times. And so it's pretty funny. The, the documentary is pretty good. I would I would encourage you to check it out. And so. And I'm glad that Nikki is clean and sober and he is doing well, but he is a really good songwriter. And in fact, that leads me to this. My favorite Motley Crue song is 10 Seconds to Love. Nice. I love that song. Yeah, I so love good. that. The bass line in that song is so mm-hmm. great. It grooves. So, it just, it grooves, but it, it hits hard. Absolutely. So Greg, what about you? What's your favorite Motley Crue song? Oh, so many. Um, my all-time favorite will be Wild Side. That song, nice. trying to play that on bass is freaking awesome. I love it. Yeah. But too Fast for Love, Too Young to Fall in Love, Shout at the Devil, absolutely. I even like this one. I really, really, really like Merry Go Round, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a phenomenal song. Just just kicking. Um, yeah, probably right around in there. So many. If I Die Tomorrow is a very underrated song, man. I yeah. Love 
if I die tomorrow. And then anything off of Dr. Phil, good girls, girls, absolutely. Shout devil. They're all good, man. <laughs> you love them all, basically, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Bill, what about you? What's your favorite Motley Crue song? My runner-up is probably Livewire. Yeah. Uh, my number one is probably Looks the Kill. Uh, like nice. It's just got that guitar line in that song. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Now, I do want to give a shout-out. I really like their cover of Smoking in the Boys' Room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a fun one with Berryman in the video. It's it's a great, great. And there are people that have no idea who Brownsville Station is, but I guarantee Brownsville Station made a hell of a lot of money off Motley yeah. Crue singing that song. <laughs> yep, yeah. yep. I heard, well, I heard their co- the cover for the first time. I had no idea it was a cover. So that, that just goes to show, you know, they can take a melody and make it popular. Yeah, they're, they're, they, can, they can kill it. And um, yeah, that's a great song. And so I have to I have to give a shout out also because my former bosses Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller wrote Jailhouse Rock and they covered Jailhouse Rock on Girls Girls Girls. Yes. So yes. So Jackson, what is your favorite song? For me, I think it's I think it's got to be Knock 'Em Dead Kid. I just love the attitude Ooh. of that of that song. It's so it's so brutal. You know, it's talking about That's putting blacks in people's eyes and and uh, it's. Some people have said that it's got its melody is not very original. It's it's a lot like um, uh, other songs on the album, but I love that one. I just love the ferocity of, of Vince's vocals on that one, and it's it just you know it it is uh, a really hard hitting song. But again, yeah, like I like I said song. earlier, their cover of Helter Skelter, I love that. I think that might be my favorite version. Even more so, I love the Beatles version. You know, with Ringo in the beginning, I got blisters on my fingers. I love that. I love also Rob Zombie and Marilyn Manson did a cover of it. But I, I, I think that the the Shout at the Devil Helter Skelter cover may be my favorite. It's just that get that guitar is so overdriven. It's just it's just awesome. Um, but um, yeah, Shout at the Devil is definitely my favorite album. There, it's all killer, no filler on that one. Absolutely, absolutely, I agree. So, all right, folks, let's skip ahead to an artist that is a metal god and also a horror filmmaker. Mr. Rob Zombie. So, of course, he started with White Zombie, and then he went solo. And my introduction to Rob Zombie was with White Zombie via Beavis and Butthead. That's how (laughs) I got to know (laughs) Uh, White Zombie. Greg, what about you? When did you get to know Mr. Rob Zombie? Yeah, it would have been White Zombie, but it would have been uh, Beavis and Butthead as well. Yeah. Uh, an introduction and then from there one of the guys i used to work with uh in the early 2000s introduced me to a lot of his white zombie discography and then of course i branched off into his solo which i love mm-hmm. uh, solo stuff so yeah it would have been beavis and butthead that would have been like wait who's this <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah absolutely bill what about you well what was when did he first kind of break we're just trying to think. 98 is when his first solo album came out. White Zombie's first album was like 91, 92. Okay, like, that's, that's what I was thinking. Big, yeah. That's what I was thinking because 91, 92, 93, I was just my first year of university. Like it's the kind of stuff that either you went to the dance side of the of the bars or you went to the rock side of the bars. Mm-hmm. And I used to go to a lot of these dance bars. Like I wasn't a big dancer, but I'd go to the ones where it's the alternative bars. Mm-hmm. And there was always Rob Zombie or uh, uh, White Zombie playing. And so probably early on. Now, if you want me to pick out a song, I probably couldn't because 
it all was just part of that scene. But I was very much aware of him probably when he first broke out. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Jackson? Uh, I'm not sure. You know, just like with how Alice Cooper is brought to my attention with Monk, I think, honestly, the first time I may have heard uh, White Zombie was in Psych. You know, the, the uh, other detective show, Psych. Um, <laughs> uh, which is, I love that show. But there is an episode. I was just watching it recently, and I was like, what the heck? There's more human than human in this episode. So I may have heard it there first. But, um, I would, you know, growing up, it was impossible not to hear Dragula. Um, you know, my cousin Colin, uh, he was, he loved like Dracula and living dead girl for some reason. He had some odd fascination with Rob Zombie, but, um, and I, you know, I was of the age where when I was growing up, Rob Zombie was releasing, you know, just releasing new movies. I, I remember when Halloween two, his Halloween two movie came out. I actually remember, uh, seeing ads for that and stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I, I have been aware of Rob Zombie, um, but I didn't really get into him until like two years ago, I would say. I was really getting getting into him uh, right before me and my dad saw him in concert. Um, we actually saw him and Marilyn Manson for their uh, Twins of Evil tour. And um, yeah, I really got into him then, and I've been a fan ever since. I mean, I I love the style. I love how he puts obscure like serials and, and horror movies. He samples those into his music. So it's just it's just so perfect. It's the perfect blend of all the things I like. Anybody who can sample werewolves on wheels yes. into a song. <laughs> yes. God bless him. Anyone who even knows the, the movie werewolves. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. But um, yeah, Jackson and I have seen him live. Uh, he is great live. Uh, Greg, I think, have you seen him live as well? Yeah, I've seen him three times, maybe four. Wow. Uh, yeah, I love Rob, man. Yeah, he is great live. I mean, he's just got an energy. Jackson shared a video. Um, <laughs> do you remember this, Jackson, at the end of the concert? Um, yes, I remember. It, it was hysterical. He was supposed to do close out the concert with Marilyn Manson doing mm -hmm. Helter Skelter, but Marilyn Manson had the flu or something, or maybe at that time it was COVID, who knows. And... So he couldn't do that. So he said, well, we're going to extend this concert and we're just going to do a few more songs. And people started to leave for like the parking lot. And Rob Zombie goes, oh, I see some people are going to have to leave to get to their cars. How very metal of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then and then what he did, he started a chant. And I can't repeat the chant here uh, yeah. for fear of being kicked out of my Christian school that I go to. <laughs> but uh, he went on to do an encore of like three or four songs. That was crazy. I mean, and we were we had already started leaving. So we rushed in back through the door. We were standing at the very, very back on the ground level watching him do like sick bubble gum. Oh, um, yeah. And uh, yeah. and I think he did Helter Skelter by himself, too. He but did, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, just just an awesome awesome show he's he you know he's in his 50s he's got asthma but that doesn't stop him from jumping around on stage running through the crowd screaming his head off he just he is a hype man and that that's what he's good at um I, I don't think he's the most impressive vocalist i mean the fact that he can stay gritty throughout the entire show his voice has got that distortion in it and it doesn't wear thin by the end that's very impressive um, but he doesn't have the biggest range or whatever, but he's just a great front man. He's got the energy to keep the, the crowd engaged throughout the entire thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, definitely his presentation is just so good. I mean, yeah. like say what you will about his movies, about the writing in his movies, but they, they all have like an awesome style to them and his concerts are much the same. And he's got the attitude. Yep. Yeah. He's got the look. 
He's got a little bit of Jim Morrison in him. Like I'm mm-hmm. the guy up front. Ooh, yeah. I'm going to tick you off. And if you're going to like it, you're going to not like it. I don't care. Here I go. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how his movies are too. That's how his songwriting is. Everything about him is just like, I like what I like and you're going to like what I like or get out. That's his whole attitude. He's not going to write the type of song that, oh, the winds are changing and I think people like this. No, no. He's going to write his songs. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, he's been making the same kind of music for like 20 years now. Yeah, so, um, and since I'm a fan of Rob Zombie, I don't mind that one bit. And it's just like a, if you like one thing Rob Zombie's done, you probably like all of it. Because he's just got his own style, he's doing his own thing. Um, So, yeah, and he's he's probably the most entwined with horror out of all the people we're going to talk about tonight. Just purely because he's in both hemispheres of the things we like. He's a horror director, um, but he's also a musician. So yeah, just, just fantastic. Um, he, he's made some clunkers as far as movies go, <laughs> like Halloween too, but, uh, devil's rejects uh, is great. And, uh, yes. and hellbilly deluxe is a heck of an album. Now, since you guys have all seen him, does he bring Sherry out to any of the shows? Oh yeah. Like is she out on stage and stuff? She, she, has she, okay, she wasn't at the show that Jackson and I watched, but Jackson, uh, Greg, you said she's, she has been out? Yeah, she has. I mean, she doesn't do it often, but she has done the go-go dancing on the stage and stuff like that. Uh, Not as much now as she did early on, but yeah, she has done it. I mean, I'm not saying she's done it every time, but yeah, she has definitely been there. And when yeah, we saw when we saw him, she was there in video form up on the big like um, the big yeah. screens. You could see her dancing in silhouettes, you know, throughout the entire thing. So she's there in spirit um, even now. And and uh, say what you will about Sherry Moon Zombie about her acting skills, but she keeps Rob Zombie in shape, man. I mean, she's got him on a diet and everything. And I think that's part of the reason he can still run around and jump around and everything now. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah cause just, he was kind of, if you go back and look at the nineties, he's kind of paunchy and now he's, yeah. he's lean and mean. He looks yeah. like a zombie. He's all sinew. He, I mean, he's a beast. He's yeah. like an antelope. They're I big. remember when, when John five was soloing and Rob zombie is running through the crowd with a flashlight, like smacking uh, people and stuff. He is crazy. Yeah. I could, I could take this a pretty not so clean way, but I will keep it above board. <laughs> Yeah, I know okay, vegan so. diets they done and and yep. say what you will about Rob Zombie and White Zombie. White Zombie was phenomenal. Yes. But when John Five entered the picture, oh yeah. John Five took Rob Zombie to the next level, him and Piggy D. Great. And when you look at my, uh Marilyn Manson, which John Five Piggy D was with, when they left Manson and came to Rob Zombie, Marilyn Manson went to nothing. Yep. That shows you the talent of John Five and Piggy D. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they what we've amazing. learned about Marilyn Manson over the last couple of months is why oh, yeah. so many people leave Marilyn Manson. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's always I, been, yeah, he's always been not the best guy to be around. I've heard from people like you. There's a fam- famous footage of him kicking John Five in the, in the face during a show. Yeah. And I think not that long after that, John Five actually left the band. So, uh, and now they're more. More allegations coming out against him and stuff. So yeah, when he went, but when he came to Rob Zombie, I mean, the whole thing just stepped up like crazy. I mean, they're they're great musicians and very unconventional musicians. I mean, John Five's got a kill kill button on his guitar that he uses to make it sound like a like a turntable. So he's he's awesome. Awesome, love John. 
I, I agree. But yeah, Rob is great life. I mean, as far as his movies, I know that we have listeners and Patreons who have mixed feelings about Rob Zombie. I know Gilman Joel is not the biggest fan. Um, there's a podcast called The Hysteria Continues there. They hate Rob Zombie's movies. I know that as Greg and I have had this discussion, first time I watched Rob Zombie's Halloween in theaters, I almost walked out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I like that movie now. I, I do now too, but at the time I was like, what's he doing? Yes. Yeah. Yes, you have just crapped all over my. No. A- exactly. I was just like, no, no, no. Why are you, what? I mean, and so, yeah, I've come to appreciate yeah. Rob Zombie's Halloween one. I agree with you, Jackson, about uh, his Halloween two. I think it's crap, but I. His Halloween one, I've come to appreciate. All these other movies I really like. I like House of a Thousand Corpses. I love The Devil's Rejects. I really mm-hmm. like Three from Hell. I even like 31 a little bit. Um, and well, the, the, yeah, the, I like the, Lord the, of Salem, too, yeah. I was going to say, the the movie of his that gets crapped on a lot is Lords of Salem, and I really like I, that film. I love it. I like, it's interesting. It, it I, takes risks. No, I like it. I, I think, and I think that um, Sherry Moon Zombie does a good job in it. I and no, I like that movie. D. Uh, Wallace, D. Wallace is great oh. with a with a pot in her hand. Oh, incredible! <laughs> that that whole thing is incredible. I, I have to admit, yeah, that is incredible. I um, and but I think his music consistently has been good. I mean, is it? Do I put Rob Zombie up there with Ozzy and? and kiss and Motley Crue. No, but I think he has, it's really hard to be as consistently good as he's been with his music. Yeah. And I do think his music has been really well done. Yeah. yeah. Well, as far as his, as his fan base goes, he's never put out an album that's been negatively received really like crapped on by people. They're pretty consistent in quality. I mean, uh, I would argue that with Hellbilly Deluxe and Sinister uh, Urge, he peaked but I mean, like he, there have been tracks from every subsequent album that I would listen to repeatedly. So that yeah, that yeah. is what I would say. Yeah, there are tracks on every album that are really killer. Mm-hmm. I agree. I absolutely agree. So, do you guys have a favorite Rob Zombie song? Bill, start with you. Probably Dragula, only because it's the song that got played the most when I was in my days in the club. In, in the clubs, not that I was a big club guy, but you know, like background music and stuff that you'd move around and hear all the most, probably Dragula. We're not going to mm-hmm. find a YouTube video of you like Will Ferrell, you know, <laughs> and like depend- a sad. <laughs> it, it, it would depend how late in the night it was and how many beers I'd had. <laughs> <laughs> you want to dance with me? You want to? Okay, okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> Greg, what about you? Um. As far as heavy hitting, and it's got one of the best breakdown uh, in a song is Black Sunshine. Nice. That, there's that a part song. of that song that my head just cannot not be beaten. I mean, it's just head banging. I'm doing the whole air guitar, the drum. I mean, that song to me just so much. But uh, Dragula, Super Beast, Demon Speed, Thunder, Thunder, Thunder Kiss 65. Yeah. Absolutely great. And never going to stop because of Edge. Man, never gonna stop. Never gonna stop. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. But uh, you're a bassist, Greg. I'm telling you, you can be a vocalist no matter what Pearl oh, says. Oh. So, like, <laughs> all right. Jackson, what about you? 
My favorite right now, I would say, would be Iron Head featuring Ozzy Osbourne. That's from Sinister Urge. That's a great song. And they trade off. I mean, Ozzy's on that track quite a bit. It's not just like a one-line kind of feature. He's, he sings the chorus. But, um, yeah, I love that song. But all-time favorite, probably Thunderkiss. I mean, that's just such an anthemic song. And I love the part where it's like his voice is like fireworks in that one part where he's like, yow, give me that, give me that, yow. That part just gets everybody up on their feet. It's awesome. And when he played it uh, at, at the show we were at, he was like, don't take out your phones and record this. You've heard it a million times. Just enjoy it right now. And most of the people respected that. I mean, yep. he's played Thunderkiss 65 for like 20, 30 years now. Uh, he was like, J- you've heard it before. Just enjoy this moment. So uh, that that is, you know, that's his most popular song, I would say, that and Dragula. But um, yeah, that that's my all-time favorite. Though right now I'm really enjoying Ironhead. Nice. I love Sick Bubblegum. Oh, that's a- oh, yes. <laughs> and I love American Witch. Mm-hmm. I love Let It All Bleed Out. Foxy. Um, <laughs> oh, Foxy Foxy is good, too. Yeah, I love all those songs. So, yeah, I am a huge uh, Rob Zombie fan. So let's wrap up this night by talking about a recent band, one I know that Jackson loves. Mm-hmm. And so it would be interesting to hear uh, everybody else's opinion. Let's talk about Ghost. So, Bill, do you have an opinion on Ghost? Yes, I have their entire album downloaded on my Spotify, and it is on my playlist. And I really like them. I really am kicking myself. I had the opportunity to see them. They were opening for Iron Maiden on, I'm going to say, three years ago, four years ago. But it was on the same night I had tickets to see Tom Petty. Ah. So they were both playing in Toronto at the exact same time. You took the subway. One side of the subway was seeing Petty. One was seeing Iron Man, uh, Iron Maiden. And I went to see Petty, and it was maybe two months before he passed. And so I'm glad I saw him, but that yep. was my chance to see Ghost. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of waiting till things get back up and going. They're probably at the point now where they're probably headlining their shows. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to see the theatrics and I want to see them bring another young band along with them to kind of get the whole scenario uh, as far as a concert goes. Because, you know, th- they seem to have a good knack for the songs. They seem to have a good semblance about them. But I do know, you know, because I follow a lot of the, the heavy metal Facebook groups, they do take a lot of crap similar to the way Kiss does, where Mm -hmm. they're more about the theatrics than they are about the music. Oh, I disagree with that. And and so I want to hear more about you guys, because you guys are probably a little more in tune than I am. Is that unfounded? Is that jealousy? Or is that just people talking? I think that's unfair. I think they write good songs. I I think they write good songs. So, Greg, what about you, Ghost? Oh, I absolutely love them, man. I've been listening to them for a few years now, and and when Meloria hit, oh my gosh, that album just, I'm, and I'm thankful for Meloria because nobody knew him in Infestus, uh, Infestus, yeah, that big word. They didn't know him then. <laughs> but when Meloria yeah. hit, oh my gosh, dude. When they, and I'm telling you, like, they were nowhere. Nobody knew him. They were underground. They were kind of one of those bands that everybody's like, well, who's that? Well, then that's, uh, Ser- I call it Seriously. I don't know exactly how you say the name of the song. Seriously. I'm good with it. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I've heard a million different ways. People say Sarichi. Some people say Sirith. You know, whatever, whatever way you can say it, just talk about exactly. the song and that. I like the way yeah. you say Sarichi. That song hit the video. It hit radio, 
And all of a sudden, everybody's like, whoa, what is this? Mm -hmm. Like, it has yeah. such a unique sound. It's really dark. It's it's kind of horrifying. And I loved it. I'm like, oh. Well, then everybody started listening to them. And that whole album of Meloria from Pinnacle to Pit. Yeah. I mean, songs. Oh, yeah. Great bass line. Yes, dude. And then you get into other songs. I mean, they got so many great, great, great songs, man. They're such a great band. I mean, everybody from Dave Grohl has been on stage playing with them as drummer with a freaking mask. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. Wow. Yes. yes. Like, they have had so many band members that you wouldn't even realize have been in the band. Wow. Uh, now, granted, this was not a touring thing. He showed up for a show or two to play. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, now, somebody will tell me I'm wrong about this. But if I'm not mistaken, Dave Grohl has helped produce them. If I'm not mistaken, I think that's yeah. how it came about. I think I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So great, great musicianship, man. They are phenomenal. Great songwriters. Great music. I love Ghosts, man. They're so good. Wow. Jackson, what about you, buddy? I love Ghost. Um, yeah, they're they're so unique. They have the perfect. Their sound is like a blend between like gothic metal, doom metal, and like pop rock it's such a weird blend it's real some of their songs are really really heavy and some of them are like dance songs you know they're like like you can get up and dance to it like there's one from prequel oh, yeah. called dance macabre and that yes. song it's like a disco song basically it's like <laughs> it's like real um very very 80s but um yeah I, I i personally i love their darker more gothic stuff i love it when they bring the organ in and they have the heavy bass like from the pinnacle to the pit that is such a heavy hard-hitting song um it's got a lead bass guitar like distorted bass yeah. um and then rats that one has such an oh, awesome rats. line and then and then the breakdown at the end of Rats is like da na 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 and that music video of him dancing in the apocalypse, it's awesome. And that's the that's another appeal of Ghost. We haven't talked about it that much. I mean, we yeah, is it me, but in Rats, does in the Rats videos it look like he's dancing outside the diner from Chud? It looks <laughs> yes. I and that is actually I think that's the diner that's in so many movies. It's like not a real diner. It's just for right. movies. Um, but yeah, that's it's in so many great it's in so many great classic movies. But the big the biggest draw, the thing that got them the most attention early on, which people said was a gimmick that they would abandon, you know, like like a like slipknot, they started out, it's like nobody knew who they were. They were just these masked people. And then of course everybody figured out who they were. But with Ghost, for the most part, other than the lead singer their background band has remained mostly anonymous mm -hmm. um except for the first album like for right. the people from the first album actually sued tobias forge and that's the reason people know who they all are so tobias forge is the creative mastermind behind it he is the guy that has played all the papas who are the the pope-like uh characters who play right. or who are the lead singers and there's this whole mythology to it i think that's the real draw is it feels like when you get into ghost you're getting into like a community full of people it's almost like a cult you got to know the lore and everything and all the different characters has been different phases and different outfits from all of them so it's like a huge amount of stuff and then the, on top of that you know as a little sprinkles on top the music is good too so it's 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 a real it's a real just all in one thing 
Unfortunately, they haven't released anything for the past two years. Their last release was an, was a double-sided single in 2019, early 2019. Right. They haven't released anything. I hear they're working on a new album, and they keep... you, Me and you, Dad, we've been going back and forth. It's like, oh, did you hear they're going to release a new album early 2020? And we're like, oh, wow, they're doing that. And then late 2020, you know, there's COVID and everything. Now they're saying 2022. So I don't know. It's 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 going to be keep pushing pushing back. And they, I know they had some troubles, like at one of their live shows, somebody got COVID and died from it. Mm. Um, so oh. that was a big news story. But um, yeah, it's they are just such a they're unique. They're definitely unique. Some people are like, oh, they're ripping off Slipknot, but I think there's more to it than that. It's not just the image. There's a lore to it, uh, and they they are a perfect blend of genres. Yeah. I, I was just reading that on January twenty second uh, of this year, they announced that they're recording a new album now. Woo! So yeah. So, so that means they should be touring pretty soon. Yeah, pretty soon. Hope hopefully, so. but yeah, I hope so too. So, yeah, I wanted to see them. I, I, rem- they were here the fall before pandemic hit. They were just thirty minutes away from me, and I couldn't go because um, they were uh, performing on a Saturday night, and I had a thing I had to do that night, so I couldn't go, and I was really upset because I really want to see Ghost. Um, I came to Ghost late. I heard Ryan Turek talk about Ghost and check them out that way. And I heard Ryan Turek interview Tobias Forge. And Tobias Forge went on and on about what a huge horror fan he is. The Shining is his favorite horror movie. And and so, yeah, I'm a huge Ghost fan. And I really want to see him live. Really hope to see him live with Jackson. Hope that uh, you and I can uh, go see them. So do you have a favorite ghost song? So Greg, we'll start with you. Do you have a favorite ghost song? Oh, man. Uh, I do. There's so many. Year Zero. Year Zero. Nice. Is And Mummy Dust. Like, oh, my gosh, Mummy Dust is awesome. If you have Ghost, I'm a Marionette is a very underrated song. Listen nice. to I'm a Marionette. I think it is so good in Secular Haze and Cersei. That's it. Secular Haze <laughs> from the Pinnacle of the Pit. Nice. <laughs> you have Ghost. You have nice. everything. <laughs> nice. Bill, what about you? Do you have a favorite Ghost song? Yeah, I, I used to have Square Hammer on repeat. Nice. Uh, quite, quite a bit, actually. And I haven't I haven't touched on them for a while, so this is inspiring me to get back. Because, you know, when you go on Spotify, you say, you know, what is your favorite? And instead of hitting that song, I got the whole album. So <laughs> on my repeat, every about every eighth song is one of the songs off that album. Oh, so, nice. I mean, you could do a lot worse, you know. So yeah, uh, I I really should branch beyond that album. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> Jackson, what about you, buddy? I'm going to have to go Cerise or Cirrus or Cerice. Uh, I love that song. It's got so many different phases to it. But Raps and Dance Macabre, you can really dance to those. And Square Hammer, that's so great. That that synthesizer riff is awesome. <laughs> so really, really all their stuff is is good. I've never heard a bad song from them. Oh, and, and you reminded me, Greg, Year Zero, that is such an evil-sounding oh, song. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> it's like the end of days. It's like prophecies about like locust kings and stuff. It's, it's so evil. <laughs> yes, Beelzebub. Yes, it's it's awesome. And uh, and apparently they had to get... The, the the choir they hired to sing that song 
quit because they didn't want to read the lyrics that they had given them. <laughs> so they had to get another one. Uh, so yeah, that that just tells you what when when the choir quits on you, you're you're <laughs> you're making honest anyways, man. Oh, wow. now, would they not be the perfect band to combo with them and Rob Zombie? Yes. yes, yes. Wouldn't that be a great show? And especially be. now that Marilyn Manson has been canceled. If yeah. we could get an Alice Cooper ghost and Rob Zombie show, <laughs> I'm I'm in. And, I, and, and who who fights to go on last? Oh, Alice has to go on last. Come on, he's a he's he's a legend. So it has to be Ghost, Rob Zombie, then Alice Cooper. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's like, and it's like Greg, you said when we begun this. Anybody who wants to follow Alice Cooper is making a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. That guy's been doing this too long, too well. He's got it down. You don't want to follow Alice Cooper. Mm-hmm. No, it's like coming in after ACDC. Or exactly. You know, like yeah. Deal, you know? No, 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 no. You don't want to do that. So, all right, folks, let's wrap this up. Well, I think, Any... I think, I think you're missing one very oh, obvious. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Mr. Glenn Danzig. Of course. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> after Veronica, I'm not sure if I'm really missing him or not. And uh, I'm not. Oh, man. I had wiped Veronica from my wow. mind knowing oh, that ever existed. Such a horrible movie. That's oh, awful. it's terrible. And and then, of course, Glenn Danzig's always had this reputation of, like, I'm a weightlifter. I'm, you know, I'm a bad guy. Don't mess with me. And then I saw a video like <laughs> 20 years ago where he started something. Yeah, he gets knocked out by a guy who weighs, like, 120 pounds. And it's like, okay, Glenn. <laughs> He knocked him flat out, dude. Oh, oh my God. Did you see that, Greg? I did. I've watched yeah. it a million times, dude. He cold cocked him, dude. Yeah. He's just like, he's always like, I'm the baddest guy on the planet. He, yeah, yeah. he just he just collapses. I mean, it's just like, okay, all right. I think that he woke up two hours later, and that's where he wrote the song Mother, because I think that's the first thing he saw was Mother. <laughs> But I will fo- I will always remember amazing vocal line. Oh, Mommy, can I go out and kill tonight? I love that song. <laughs> like, I love his early stuff. Like, Where Eagles Dare is a great song. Yes. You know, uh, you know, in his early stuff. But, I mean, you know, his version of Mede- uh, 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 Bathory in Veronica. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Wow. With that, that, that spider killer guy. You're like, I really? didn't even, I didn't even rate Veronica on Letterboxd. I watched it and I was just like, what, what do we even give this? Cause there's, can you give, there, can you give, can you give zero stars? on? I was going to ask. I was like, is there something less than zero stars? Cause this is, <laughs> this is like, this is like, uh, this is worse than the room. I mean, this is just horrific. Oh my Lord. Yeah. No, I don't want to talk about Glenn Danzig. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. The guy, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, the Misfits were okay. And he did one good song as a solo artist. Uh, the live version is the only thing worth listening to. And other than that, he apparently is a poser and an idiot. So well, he's, he, Apparently, he's doing another movie. I heard. And good <laughs> God, why? I mean, who, just who, Who's going to distribute it? I mean, has I, I don't know. Has, has Tommy Wiseau done another movie after the room? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's oh, done he several. Has? But the thing is, he's trying to make them bad now so they aren't as fun. Okay, well, maybe Glenn Danzig needs to lean into that as well because yeah. he's, oh, man. Oh, all right, folks. So 
Closing thoughts on metal, horror, either one. Bill, go for it. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for letting me come on. This has been an absolute blast. Talking to you two is awesome. In terms of metal and horror, I think they're almost always intertwined. Mm -hmm. They're going to be because the imagery, the lyrics, the writing of the movies, the soundtracks, just the visual art of movie making and the visual art of videos and putting on a show in concert, I think they are intertwined. And there is a reason why a lot of heavy metal fans are also horror movie fans. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get into movies like uh, Strangeland, you get into movies like Nightmare on Elm Street 3, you yep. get into movies like uh, Paganini Horror, you get into movies like Maximum Overdrive. There's a reason why it's essentially the same fan base because it's hard driving it's got a little bit of you know devil worship which is basically just a a facade to get people to get into the music yeah and i think a lot of people who are outside of the metal fan base you know thinks a certain thing go into a show i mean know what you're getting yourself into but go to a show and you'll find out that they're the most caring most respectful most live audience you're going to get get to. So go, I know sometimes that's a little expensive, find your local club, as long as you find somewhere you're comfortable and just listen to a show and you're going to have a heck of a good time. Agreed. Uh, Although I will say this, I have seen people punch to the Slayer show. That's the one exception. That's the one exception. uh, I I was going to say, I've been to Anthrax too. Just don't go near the mosh. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Greg, your final thoughts on, on metal, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the invite for sure. And, and I sack it what Bill's saying, man. It's nothing like seeing a live show. I recommend seeing live. Stay away from the mosh pits unless <laughs> you're going to get elbows and that. Other than that, man, to sit back and enjoy live music. It, it's great to have discs. It's great to have videos. But, man, to see stuff live is just so much better. And uh, I love it. Pearl and I will be seeing a lot more shows in the near future, thankfully. But uh, great stuff, man. Great music. Get out there. Get into your horror. Get into your rock and just rock it out. Motley Crue and Kiss, baby. And Greg, can you give us one more of your best Axl Rose? Uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, Welcome to the jungle. I got fun and games. I got everything you know. Maybe you know my name. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. I like it. Uh, nice. Miranda, she's telling me no. <laughs> oh, come on, Pearl. Come on. You know he's going to serenade you to bed he's, tonight. He's better than the Dr. Pepper guy. Come on. He's yeah. doing good. Come on. That's not saying much. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Man. All right. Jackson, what about you? Final thoughts. I just want to say I so agree with, with what Greg and Bill have said. You know, metal is just the perfect combination of talent and passion. You know, it's like with stuff like jazz sometimes. They're great musicians. They're very talented. But it can sometimes feel calculated and cold. And with stuff like punk rock, they're real passionate, but sometimes not very skilled musicians. But with metal, it's really the best of both worlds. You know, they got passion, but they're skilled musicians as well. And then you add in stuff like they got awesome song titles and album covers and live experiences. So metal music really is the ideal musical, uh, like Frankenstein's monster. And and when they are combined with horror movies, you got a recipe for success because they are they're both 
hard hitting, but they've got a supportive fan community. So that that is really that is really the takeaway from this episode is like all the stuff we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about real like hard hitting stuff. Like Alice Alice Cooper's real down and dirty. All the songs are real like, Ugh. but then the fan bases are real supportive and wholesome people. So yeah, yeah, it's it's just it's awesome, and uh, I'm so proud to be a part of these two communities. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, go to a show. I agree with Greg and Bill. If you go with some exceptions, yes, if you stay away from the mosh pit, you're going to find that metal heads are actually really nice people, just like you will find that horror fans are really nice people and polite people. So, all right, let's wrap up and talk about where people can find you. Bill, where can people find you online? Well, for myself, I'm with this lovely gentleman to my, I don't know, is he to my left, to my right, on top of me, wherever he is. <laughs> to uh, yourself. To myself, with uh, Greg Morgan and Dave Dr. Shockbecker, the Encyclopedia of Knowledge, on the wonderful Land of the Creeps long-running show. You can find us at landofthecreeps.blogspot.com. And also you can find me on Phantom Galaxy with my good pal Nathan yes. Bartlebaugh. Horror, sci-fi, fantasy, action, whatever it is, we bring it and we'll, you'll get to listen to it whether you like it or not. So go to Land of the, uh, so Land of the Creeps, phantomgalaxy.podbean.com and you can find us there. Fantastic. Greg, go for it, buddy. Yep, just what Bill said. You can follow us at landofthecreeps.blogspot.com and all that good stuff, man. Join it. And you know it because you listen to Father and Son. You know where Land of the Creeps is at. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, we love you guys, man. We do. Pastor Matt Jackson. Jackson, congratulations once again. Love you, brother. And can't wait to see what you're going to do in the future, buddy. Even if you don't do nothing but chew bubble gum and do videos, brother. We'll support <laughs> you, buddy. And I, I want to see another video of you going to your local um, pawn shops and dollar yes. stores finding videos. Yeah. I would love to. Absolutely. Go. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I can't imagine anybody who is listening to this doesn't know that Land of the Creeps is just simply one of the best podcasts out there, period. And Jackson and I continue on our quest to get it the Silver Bolo Award because it is well deserved. And we are all, uh, Jackson and I, are both going to see Joe Bob Woo! in July. And we're going to lobby. We got very mm -hmm. important mutant tickets so that we are guaranteed to meet Joe Bob. And so we're going to lobby Joe Bob in person that Land of the Creeps deserves the Silver Bolo if it doesn't win it oh, by then. Because it is simply, I mean, Horror Movie Podcast won a Silver Bolo and Land of the Creeps and Horror Movie Podcast are the two best horror podcasts out there, period, bar none. They're no better than those two. And so one has won, the other deserves it, and we're going to lobby for that. Right, Jackson? Absolutely. And you and I were considering, this is a possibility, making a Four Darcy's Consideration video. Lobbying. Oh, we're going to do it. We're yes. going to do it. We're going to basically lobby for Land of the Creeps because, oh. yeah, I think it's a, I think it's about time we give Dave Dr. Shockbecker two silver bowl awards. Double. 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 Two. Right. And, and I will go ahead and let you know there are two shirts on the way here soon. So you'll have some LOTC shirts. Oh. To be yes, we'll be repping. There Thank you go. You, and Thanks. might I say how jealous I am because of our border closure. I You're going to get all of you guys together, Nathan and Andrew Sidlick and all the boys. That I I just i am sending positive vibes across the border and 
go ahead. We will we will have to FaceTime you or Skype you, Bill. You'll yeah. have to come in and uh, meet with all of us because it's going to be a good time when we're in Layton, Pennsylvania at the Mahoning Drive-In all together. So if you're listening to this, if you're going to be in the area, uh, be sure to let us know because I just got a message last week. Ian West is going to come down. Um, so we're going to have... You know, Dave and Jackie, Greg and Pearl, myself and Jackson, uh, Nathan Bartleball, Ian West. We're going to have a bunch of people there that are going to meet up. It's just going to be a good time. We're going to have a blast. And even if you can't get tickets, just come on up and we'll just have dinner or breakfast together or whatever. And we'll just hang out. And so it's going to be just an awesome time. So, Jackson, where can I find you online, buddy? Uh, yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Kane underscore Hero 12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero 12. Uh, you can also find me at Letterboxd, Kane Hero, one word, and YouTube by the same name. Um, and uh, check out the Patreon for video reviews and stuff. And uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, as long as you uh, don't think Night of the Demons is a 10 out of 10. If, if Night of the Demons <laughs> is your number one movie of all time, maybe steer clear for a couple months until that's lower down in the feed and just forget forget I ever said anything about it. Here, I'll tell you what. Uh, if just Here's my review for everybody who loves Night of the Demons. It was a lot of fun, and you can leave it at that. Don't look at my rating. <laughs> It was at least a 7 out of 10 for me, folks. All right, so you can also find me on Letterboxd and Twitter at Pastor Matt R. And you can find us at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com, at fatherandsonhorror on Twitter. And we have a Patreon um, page that is dedicated solely to I don't get any of the money. It all goes to Jackson to help put him through film school. And so many of you have been generous in doing that. And we want to thank you for that. And you can check bonus episodes there. You can vote on things there. Be one of our Oscar voters there and watch Jackson disappoint you with his. Yes. Of the demon. So I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Everyone. Again, our thoughts and prayers go out to Dino's family and to all those going through stuff. We're here for you. God bless you. God keep you. And we'll see you next time. Yep. Goodbye. And remember to stick around after this headbangers ball for a new music video from Poison entitled We Hate Each Other But Love Your Money, followed by a new single from Axl Rose entitled I Gained and Lost 100 Pounds in Three Years and All I Got Was This Lousy T-Shirt. Coming up next. Once again, I want to thank the great people over on Patreon. Dave Becker, Greg Bench, Dan George, Ian Urza, Kevin Corby, Ashley Pinker, Blake Pops, Joel Robertson, Brian Scott, Amy Swan, and Trey Whetstone. Thank you all so much for the continued support. Have a great week. <laughs>